Hello, it's 30th of April 2017 and this is episode 27 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? It's been good. Um, I got my The Last Jedi poster in the mail, finally, because um, <laughs> a friend had taken it home for me from Celebration so that it wouldn't get damaged when I was coming back on the flight. Oh, um, nice. Yes, yeah, so I'm having it framed right now, and I can't wait to have it on the wall. Oh, yeah, I'm so jell. I went <laughs> to my local cinema, and I asked if they were going to get that poster, and I was a little bit heartbroken because they didn't know what poster I was talking about. Aww. And because I'm in my Star Wars bubble, I was like internally thinking, how can you not know about that poster? It's the most beautiful thing in the entire world. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, that was a bit of a less illustrious and rewarding experience for me. But I'm really happy that yours has come through and that it's been framed. I bet it's going to look so lovely. Yeah. Have you got a spot planned out for it where you're going to put it? Um, no, I've been considering various spots. I'm like, do I want it pride of place or are people going to think I'm an Uber nerd so I have to hide it away a little bit? I don't know. Both the mouth. Yeah. Um, other than that, like last weekend, I went to a friend's house to play Battlefront because I'd, I'd never played that before. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a cool experience. It was the VR version, which was interesting because I'd never done that before either. Oh, so nice. Pretty cool and immersive. Um, and then, oh, the other thing that she had on her wall was one of those um, Lil Kylo commissions from Brian Kessinger. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, they're super cute. If people haven't seen them, um, he just does these like adorable little Kylo and Rey kind of things that are based on Calvin and Hobbes. Um, yeah, they're really cute. So that was cool to see. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention to people is that we were guests on Sky Talkers, yes. uh, a podcast this week. So it was their show from yesterday. Um, yeah, which was really cool. Like Charlotte and Caitlin put a great podcast together. I've been a fan of that show for a while. So they invited us on and I was really excited about that and people should go over and listen to it. (laughs) Yeah, no, we had a really great time on that podcast. They're brilliant hosts and they asked some amazing questions. Um, so yeah, give it a listen. Um, and you will find out who we would invite to our Star Wars dinner parties. That's (laughs) most importantly. Yeah, the pressing questions. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The really important stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my week has also been pretty cool. Um, Like a part of the reason why it was such a cool week is some of the news stories that we'll be going into forthwith. Um, So I won't dwell on those too much. But there is something I'd like to mention at this point that doesn't really qualify as a news story because it's too short. But I wanted to say it anyway because I just thought it was really cool. And it's the tweet from Ryan Johnson and he was replying to a fan and he said, I think that moral questioning and discovery is at the heart of our experience of adolescence and thus at the heart of the saga. And I just love Ryan. (laughs) I think he has such a great perspective on all this and he really has the right focus, in my opinion, because... Like, especially when you think about how in cinema there's this whole idea where, oh, dark and edgy, that makes everything great. And we need more death and murder and grimness. And then it's awesome by default. Um, And I'm just just so tired of that attitude. It doesn't do it to me. That attitude didn't make Batman v Superman good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to have it emphasised. I mean, we know that Star Wars is like a coming of age story, right? It always has been, at least the saga films. Yeah. So it's nice to have that emphasized by the people who are actually creating it. And um, 
Kathleen Kennedy said something similar recently as well, didn't she? Mm. I don't have the exact quote to hand, but it was sometime this week she was speaking at some film festival and was talking about the fact that it is like a saga defined by hope. Yes. So it's about optimism as opposed to... She was comparing it to a lot of things that are quite dystopian these days. Mm. Um, and she distinguished Star Wars from that. She said that's not what it's about and that's probably why it resonates with people so much. Yeah. No, which is really cool. Um, so I think it really is offering something different. And not in like a phony or superficial way in like the way where it has real heart and like resonance to it, which mm-hmm. is really nice. It makes it very special. Um, yeah. And I, oh, and the other awesome thing that Ryan did this week is that he, <laughs> he, he did one of my tweets. <laughs> Basically, I um, tweeted at him an essay I'd written, which is snappily titled The Wrath of Luke. The Last Jedi is a riff on Old Testament tropes. And it's one of those hilarious essays where I, I write 3,000 words about a film I haven't seen, basically revolving solely around the fact that Luke looks very angry on the poster to The Last Jedi. Um, so yeah, probably hilariously off base and with not so much to do with the actual film, but it was a lot of fun to write and it was lovely to see Ryan acknowledge its existence. I've no idea if he read it, um, but it was very sweet of him to just say, there, there, I've seen your tweet. Well done. Uh, <laughs> and that made me feel very nice. So, yeah, yeah. thanks, Ryan. I don't, I don't think you're wildly off base with that essay. If people haven't read it, they should. It's really interesting. But he's he's kind of supposed to be, at least based on the poster and what we've seen of him in the teaser, he is kind of in that vein of the Old Testament, like, God figure trope, mm. right? Like, that archetype. Yeah. Um. Because I always thought of like Aktu as kind of the island from the Tempest, you know, so he's kind of that Prospero fi- figure. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just kind of what happens after the hero reaches the end of his hero journey. He becomes this godlike entity, right? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're infallible and can't make mistakes. It's that they kind of take on this mystical status, which is alluded to in The Force Awakens as well. So, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I'd like to think there's something in it because obviously I don't just prattle on for many thousands of words just <laughs> for my own amusement, although that's a big part of it. In the main <laughs> um, I do like to think that there's something in it. Um, so yeah, check check out if you're interested. The best place to find it is probably Journal of the Star Wars. So yeah, go and have a poke around there and see what I've been up to. Um, basically, The Last Jedi has reinvigorated all of my writing stuff. So I've got so many ideas. I'm still toying over whether my next essay should be titled um, Kylo Ren, Why So Hot? Um, <laughs> like, I, I'm not completely committed to that, though. Um, so I know it would kill the limited credibility I currently have. So, yeah, we will see. <laughs> I'd read it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, right. So then just to get the business out of the way. If you haven't done so already, please do rate and review us on iTunes because that really helps us out and we love you for doing it. You're so awesome. Thank you. Um, And yeah, if you have any questions for the podcast, you can send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. And yeah, this episode is going to be very question heavy. As I'm sure you can imagine, there's a big, big backlog of questions to answer after celebration because everyone wants to know our opinion on stuff. Um, so yeah we're going to get through as many as we can and thank you to everyone who sent in questions it's really awesome to see such great engagement with the podcast so thank you um right oh yeah and then i guess the final thing to say is that we're going to stick to what we started doing a few weeks ago and we're going to have a separate spoiler segment at the end of the show 
So we're going to have a whole non-spoiler stretch up until a certain point. And then when you hear the Rogue One klaxon sound, <laughs> then that is the time to say bye-bye because we go full spoiler. Um, so yeah, basically you're safe for the first part of the show. Um, and we like to do that for you because spoilers are getting real. Yeah, so we want to keep everyone safe. <laughs> um, right, then to move on, we have our first news story which is that episode nine has been announced for a May 2019 release. And this is just a little piece from the official starwars.com website. It says the Walt Disney company and Lucasfilm announced today two major upcoming release dates. Star Wars episode nine is now set for release on May 24th, 2019 directed by Colin Trevorrow. The film will close out the third Star Wars trilogy, the trilogy of trilogies. <laughs> I just realized that. Wow. Um, yeah, and then the other film that's been released is Indiana Jones 5, which is ridiculous, um, on 10th of July 2020. Um, but yeah, we are here for Star Wars, so we will talk about that. Yeah, what did you make of this release date news, Kirsty? Did it surprise you to see it confirmed for May? Um, yeah, I guess, because I'd, I'd wondered if they were going to push it back to December, kind of the same way they did with The Last Jedi. Yeah. Because obviously that's been working for them fi- financially, but I am pleasantly surprised because I don't want to wait another two years. <laughs> yes, the torment will be um, much reduced, basically. <laughs> I guess there's always the possibility that they would push it back again, but I don't know why they would bother to announce this if they weren't pretty sure that it was going to be ready by then. Yeah. Um, so I guess this means, you know, we heard a few weeks ago that those rumours about them maybe starting to film in July, and we were like, oh no, that's probably not going to be the case yes we were probably wrong about that or at least there's a possibility now yeah i definitely think it's looking much more likely and i find that slightly terrifying just the thought that it's going to go to cameras so soon and perhaps more importantly well before the last jedi has come out in cinemas because yeah there's just so much room for stuff to leak from that set that could spoil things going on the last jedi um so yeah i just hope they have really great security teams i don't know bring the leaks on (laughs) (laughs) even my impatience doesn't stretch that far (laughs) i don't want to know what's happening in episode nine before i know what's happening in eight basically i suppose yeah i mean yeah it's possible that stuff might not leak out or at least the spoiler sites might have the sense to hold on to it at least until the last jedi comes out because yeah yeah don't spoil huge things like that although you know people were spoiling han solo dying so yeah Um, no it's true um and I guess my feeling is they'd probably be really, really tight on the security because with The Last Jedi, not much came out while it was filming. Like stuff came out from Dubrovnik and stuff came out from Ireland, but that's inevitable because that's location filming. And it was all quite general, vague stuff. Mm. So it wasn't anything like movie spoiling or anything. It wasn't like, oh God, we photographed someone killing Luke. <laughs> It wasn't movie spoiling, but you still got the sense of like who was involved in the strands of the plot. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it'd be interesting if we did hear so and so's with so and so filming, you know, in this yeah. specific location. You would then have, I don't know, like it would just give you a completely different perspective on the Last Jedi, I suppose. But um, it'd be interesting to see, like, because in May there's much more competition at the box office, isn't there? Yeah, you know, I think you've got the all the Marvel films and movie comes out in the same month actually like avengers infinities bajillion war thing um i mean i know disney don't care they're they're getting the money either way but yeah um yeah i think it just shows that they have confidence in the saga because 
we were saying, oh, they're probably going to not film it until after The Last Jedi comes out so that they can gauge reactions. And if there are certain things they need to change, then they will in the rewrites. But Mm -hmm. maybe they don't, maybe they're just like, nope, this is our story. We're sticking to it. Um, And that's how it's going to go. Because, I mean, to be fair, The Last Jedi, at least a strong draft of it was written before TFA came out. Yeah. Uh, And people were cast for that film that weren't in The Force Awakens. So maybe people think that they have more say <laughs> based on the the fan reactions than they actually do. Yeah. No, like you say, that's a really good point. It definitely indicates that they have real confidence in the story they're telling because if they didn't, then they'd be much more like tentative and be like, oh, we should wait to see how Last Jedi's received and then we can change everything if need be. I, I don't think they'd literally do that, but I would have perhaps expected them to be more like sensitive to fan reactions and perhaps alter certain things around that. Um, because you even heard that Ryan did that with the Last Jedi a bit. Like there was those, there were those reports saying that he boosted the roles of Rey, Finn, and Poe, um, because those characters were so well received in the Force Awakens. Um, I've always been a bit iffy about those reports. I was going like, to say, I... how could Rey not be prominent <laughs> in the Last yeah. Jedi? I don't understand. I... I do wonder if that was just kind of an excuse for them to push it back, and it was just because it made more commercial sense for them. Yeah, but who knows? Exactly. Um, yeah, I think it's very clear that they really are zoning in on that May release date. They really want to go back there because <laughs> they're doing the Han Solo movie in May as well. So I think it's very much mission Star Wars is going to reclaim that May release slot. Yeah, it seems like some fans have really strong opinions and like, you know, really loved Christmas as Star Wars. And I guess, you know, that kind of makes sense if you're off for Christmas break and want to go and enjoy it with your family. And yeah. a lot of the merchandise can be bought for Christmas presents. But I'll watch Star Wars any time of the year. So it really doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I do like it coming out at Christmas because then it does mean I can go and see it with my family easily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like for me personally, for selfish reasons, it's great that it comes out earlier because the wait isn't so long. Exactly. Like we would be getting the Last Jedi in May, like a few weeks from now, if if they'd stuck to it. So. Oh God, can you imagine? <laughs> Life is so different. Yeah, it's something I think about. <laughs> <laughs> that parallel universe. <laughs> um, right. Then the next story is that Ryan Johnson isn't involved in writing Episode Nine, um, and that's basically all the substance there is to this. Um, it was just something Ryan stated on Twitter. When a fan like said, "Oh Ryan, like aren't you doing the treatment for episode nine? and he essentially replied saying, "No, I'm not involved at all." Um, and yeah, this is a bit of a change because previously it had been reported that Ryan was writing the treatment for episode nine, and then Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly, who's his writing pipe part, who's his writing partner, were going to write the script based on Ryan Johnson's treatment. But yeah, clearly that isn't the case anymore. And it's all on Trevorrow and Connolly. Um, and yeah, that frightens me a bit. <laughs> what are your feelings on it, Kirsty? Um, I feel a bit bad about previously contributing to the whole naysayer thing with Trevorrow because it probably doesn't feel very good from, <laughs> from his perspective. Yeah, it's true. He, he, must have, he must have kind of a sense of it that people are very sceptical of how mm. he'll pull it off. And yeah. You know, I didn't love Jurassic World, but I don't know if you've watched Safety Not Guaranteed. That was his first film. No, I haven't. I have had good things about it, though, right? and I want to watch it because I want him to succeed, you know? Yeah. Like, I want to have faith in him. I watched it because it's this cute little indie film set here in Seattle, um, mm-hmm. and Aubrey Plaza's in it, who I love. 
but and it was a good film you know the writing is cute and charming and i i just want to focus on that rather than the things he's done that i don't love yeah um because you know at the end of the day this is what we're getting so we <laughs> you know just try and think positively he yeah you know hopefully it will be fantastic and there's no point worrying about episode nine yet like we don't have the last jedi yet that might suck <laughs> I do feel like I have to lower my expectations a little bit. Like, I love Ryan. I've loved all his films. I'm really excited about it. But it could suck. You know, it's always a possibility. So there's just no point worrying about it too much. It's true. Um, and when he says he's not involved, like, I'm sure JJ was involved a little bit with episode eight. They have to talk to each other and make sure the story lines up. Yeah. So, like, officially, yeah, he didn't write the treatment, but he must have been consulted. So, yeah. No, I, I absolutely think that Ryan ha- is like involved in plotting out the overarching story, like, and I'm sure they had all the directors like in for those discussions because they had Ryan and Colin confirmed very early. Right. I think it, even in 2014 they were both on board, so I think there's been lots of meetings so that they can all say, right, okay, we're all writing our own scripts, we're all telling our own stories, but how do we make sure these individual stories of ours come together to tell a cohesive overarching story because that's so important because even though each director is making his own film they do still need to link up because they're three parts of the same story mm-hmm. um so yeah i have confidence in that way because yeah like you said Kirsty, it's not that he's not involved at all it's just that he's not directly involved in writing it or dictating what the story will be like and with that said, I expect that there are certain endpoints that everyone knew they were targeting. You know, there are probably characters where they have been asked by the story group, oh, please make sure that XX and X happens. Um, like, not necessarily the minutiae, but maybe saying, please let Luke live, because then we can do so much with him after this film. Do you know what I right. mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. Kathleen Kennedy would have had a huge amount of insight into these things as well you know mm. so she's kind of overlooking everything too yeah no and I, I do think you're right in that it's not fair on Colin as an individual to constantly like demonize him for the fact that he's widely not considered the best writer and or the best director because that is a bit mean like and I do think the hate for Jurassic World is exaggerated like people act like it's one of the worst films ever made and that's clearly not true <laughs> Like, I'd say it's very, very average, and I un- know that there's like problematic things with the characterization, especially the characterization of the lead female in that film. But yeah, it's not like it's an abomination of cinema or anything like that. And I do sincerely believe that Colin is going to do his utmost to make this film the best it possibly can be. So I'm sure no one feels the pressure more than he does. And I think I read a quote from him somewhere where he said like he's putting his heart and soul into this movie. So, like, make sure it's the absolute best it mm-hmm. can be. Um, and, yeah, like, I really respect that. It's clear that he understands how special this is and how he's telling something that's much bigger than just this one film. So, yeah, like, I'm not going to pretend I'm not nervous, but I do still think that there's lots of reason to be optimistic and, most importantly, it's silly to worry so f- about something that's still so far ahead when there's The Last Jedi to come first. Exactly. And, you know, on a macro level, all of it's beyond our control as fans anyway. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, people can complain about it all they want. But at the end of the day, th- th- we're getting what we're getting. So exactly. 
<laughs> we need to deal with it. Um, right, then the next story is that we have some quotes from Oscar Isaac about working on The Last Jedi. And, <clears throat> sorry. And basically, Oscar has been out promoting his film called The Promise, um, which I don't know if it's good or not, but I'd actually encourage people to check out because I feel really sorry for that film because there's just been this ridiculous online campaign by trolls who are seeking to deny the fact that the Armenian genocide happened. Oh, God. And these people are just trashing this film and giving it one-star ratings on IMDb and saying it's an awful film and everything. Oh, I didn't know about that. That's awful. it's really, really bad. Um, I think it's tied to the Turkish government or something. The Turkish government denies that the Armenian genocide happened. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, there's all these people who are complicit in that denial. And yeah, they're just targeting this film and it's awful to see. Like like I say, I can't comment on the cinematic merit of the film, but I think just like as a middle finger to everyone who's trying to derail it, I think people should support it. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, the promise aside, um, Oscar's been making various interesting remarks about The Last Jedi and I will read these out. The first one is to Movie Web, And he said, well, you know, I can't say anything about the thing itself, but... He will be challenged in a very intense way that will reveal a lot more about his character. So that's interesting. Then the next quote is to Business Insider. And he says, it was basically my first day on set. And we did about 25 takes total. Half of them were on me and half of them were on Carrie. I can't give anything away, but there was a scene where there was some physicality there. And it was shot just over and over and over She relished the physicality of it. Let me just say, it was pretty intense. It'll be funny to see what they cut together based on that. And then the final comment is to The Guardian. And he says, The characters that you know already, their specific character flaws or their weaknesses get tested. And out of that, I think, you get to see a bit more of who they are. The best way to learn about somebody is to see them in a crisis. Um, yeah, so I think there's some really interesting comments here. Some of them line up with things you've heard before. This whole idea of the characters being tested and us seeing this new side to them based on how they respond to being tested. I think we heard that back at Celebration last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was comments made by Ryan or Pablo or some combination thereof. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting to see how Oscar phrases it. Um, the thing that really stands out to me is the report about that action scene with Carrie which is interesting. Um, and it reminds me of something that we can't really talk about because it's spoiler-related. There's a very early report about a scene with Carrie and Oscar um, and something that happened to Leia. And I kind of wonder if what Oscar's saying here is about that. Yeah, that's what jumped out to me as well. Mm. Like I, I think that must be what he's talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, and just in general, I feel like there's going to be an even greater poignancy to all of Leia's scenes in hindsight now. Yeah. Um, regarding the post stuff, I'm just really glad to hear that he's going to be given more depth. Yes. Uh, because it, it's needed. Like, as much as I like Poe, um, after JJ decided to keep him alive, after the whole escaping with Finn stuff, like, he was very much a supporting character at that point. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm guessing that what he's referring to is that Poe will have to deal with a lot of, like, the resistance's problems, so... You know, in the in the teaser, it looked like Poe was under a lot of pressure. Yes. Um, you know, like, he was very likable in The Force Awakens, but he's not my favourite because he didn't really seem to struggle with anything. Yeah. Like, you know, there's that 
point in the Force Awakens commentary where even J.J. Abrams himself says, now we're getting back to the story we really care about. Like he's <laughs> jumping away from Poe's finest moment of blowing up Starkiller Base. <laughs> so it's kind of like he's a character and all characters are used as devices for the plot, obviously. But it was just kind of like, oh, Poe needs to do this so that we can get back to the, the character development that's going on here. Um, so if they've decided to keep him alive, they really need to do something interesting with him now and give him an arc. So it sounds like that's what Ryan's doing, which is great. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I really liked Poe. But yeah, if there's a problem with him, it's that his only real character trait is that he's likable. There's not much more to him beyond the fact that you're like, wow, what a swell guy. What a great pilot. Um, and yeah, everything comes easily to him. You don't really see him being tested. Obviously, he's put in a dreadful situation early on because he's interrogated by Kylo, but they don't dwell on it. And it's not like you see him really struggle with that for long because in the next scene, he's being freed by Finn and he's all like perky and upbeat. And like, yeah, let's get out of here. Come on. And yeah, he just seems dauntless. Yeah, I've read in supplementary material that Poe is supposedly like traumatized by the fact that Kylo Ren knows all of his secrets now, and like, it it it's it's just like, this is the thing with canon now, right? That they have all this these ways to like flesh out the characters inside things and books and whatever, but if it's not right there in the film, it doesn't count to the general audience. Yeah, and. It, I always found it funny that Ray was called the Mary Sue because I think that Poe is like a Gary Stu. <laughs> like yeah. he's not, you know, he's he's great. Like I like the character, but there's not an awful lot of depth there in The Force Awakens. Yeah. I'm hearing lots of good things about the comics and I'm actually considering reading them because it does seem to make him more interesting. But yeah. it's not there in the primary story. So Exactly. So how much does it mean when it just seems to be superfluous and you don't even see the evidence for that? coming through in the film at all yeah like, it means it feel it feels like it's not really quite real it feels like it's just stuff that exists outside of the film it doesn't integrate with the film yeah it's there for poe fans to go and look for if they want it but 95 percent of star wars fans won't consume that so yeah um right then the next item is that we have much better looks at kylo and ray in the last jedi courtesy of battlefront 2 um and yeah Battlefront 2 is basically the gift that keeps giving in terms of <laughs> images. Um, so we had a great image of Kylo like alone before. And now we have a pair of images, one with Kylo and one with Rey. And yeah, we get really good looks at their last Jedi costumes and they look amazing. I was mm-hmm. so, so excited to see these images. And they kept on coming out in better and better quality. And I was like, yeah. this is awesome. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, so what did you think about these images, Kirsty? Uh, yeah, I thought they were really cool to see. Um, Kylo looks pretty sad again. Not particularly scary. No. And <laughs> um, Ray is the one who has like the fierce facial expression. Like she's yeah. very much geared for a fight there. Mm. Um, her robes have like a very samurai feel, which is pretty cool. Yes. Um, and where Kylo's is obviously going for more of that like medieval prince knight yeah. vibe. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like he's off to find a dragon to kill. Yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, making Star Wars, I've talked a lot about how Kylo's wearing a cape that could be Darth Vader's, but I am not really seeing it, to be honest. Like, that is not Darth Vader's cape, right? It's a cape. Yeah, like we've said before, it's a black cape, but it's—I don't know where the Vader thing came from. But um, the other thing that they said was that the uniform—it looks like a cross between Luke's Return the Jedi robes 
and a First Order uniform. Again, I know we're only getting like the side view. Mm. It's not especially detailed, but it kind of just looks like his The Force Awakens costume with like the dress part removed and then yeah. the cape, cape added to yeah. me. Because he's still got the same kind of belt look. Mm. So it just looks like the tunic is like a shorter version of the dress. Yeah. It does make me wonder if perhaps he's going to have more than one costume. Oh, maybe. So the costume that making stars have described, perhaps that's another one that he gets. Mm. Um, But yeah, we really don't know yet. And it's still too early to say. Um, But yeah, that is not Darth Vader's cape. Like the cape that Kylo's wearing, it seems very textured. Um, it almost reminds me of like slick oil. <laughs> um, whereas I think Darth Vader's cape was like linen. Mm. Um, always seemed like very smooth and just like flowy and stuff. Whereas Kylo's cape seems more like layered and has texture and stuff. Um, but yeah, he looks really cool and Ray looks awesome too. Um, and it's really interesting to get a better look at that costume because you can now see that what she's wearing underneath is dark brown rather than black, because people had thought it was black originally. Um, but yeah, it's just very dark brown. Um, and yeah, she just looks so badass. And I love how it seems to be integrating her old Jakku costume, along with something that's quite different. She's got like a very wide belt, and it's quite reminiscent of the belt that Kylo was wearing in The Force Awakens, and still seems to be wearing in The Last Jedi, going by mm-hmm. appearances. So yeah, they're keeping up the parallels between the characters' costumes. Yeah, it looks like the same photo that's on the toy packaging. It is. is. Right? It's just a yeah. much wider shot, so you can see the full costume. Yeah. So, which is really seen that nice. Before. Yeah, it's interesting to see it like in the context of with Poe and Finn, the other heroes, and then by herself, like against Kylo in Battlefront. So. Yeah, it's really cool. Oh, and also, I did see some people suggest that Kylo's saber, like, was smoothed out. Because famously it's all like jagged and like unstable and that like mirrors his unstable personality. Um, but I think people are only saying that on the basis of the very, very tiny low resolution images that came out first. I was going to say, and in the teaser, it's still very much that same old saber, right? Yeah. Um, and when you see the higher quality version of the image, then yeah, it's clear that it's still just as fuzzy and unstable as ever. Which is interesting, and it potentially tells us about the character's position. Like it says, he's still very much not like stable, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, which you get from his expression. He's just got this really strikingly pensive look on his face. Um, it's almost like he's looking over his shoulder, like as if he's watching his back because he's being followed or something. He looks really scared. Yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't look like vicious or he's like about to attack it is more like he's he's on his way somewhere but like looking out like thinking that he'll be attacked maybe i don't know yeah and he also looks very tired that's true thanks under his eyes right then that is the non-spoiler news done and the next segment is it came from reddit um and this is an abbreviated version of a post by someone called the first jedi so it's already got a shining stamp of authority on it with a name like that. <laughs> um, and yeah, as with anything in this segment, please, please take this a big pinch of salt. There's like no backup to this to support why it might be real. I just wanted to discuss this because I think it introduces some pretty interesting mythology. And I would actually be pretty okay if this were to happen. Um, like I say, I don't really think it's real. 
but I think it's a cool idea that I'd just like to discuss from a hypothetical standpoint. Um, so yeah, this is what the person says. Hi, I work in the media industry in an executive role. I haven't seen the movie, not that cool, but have access to most of the details. Believe it or not, I don't care. I won't be posting after this again. You can come back to it in December to see the information was right. It's very confident, um, as are most leakers. Everyone has spent so much time asking who the last Jedi is. They haven't asked who the first Jedi is. It's Snoke. The tale about the Force Tree children is correct, but here's the twist. The boy that killed the girl was the first Jedi, not the Sith. The Sith were built around the hate and revenge the girl had for the boy after surviving the attack. The Jedi were built upon a corrupt foundation and a lie all along. Luke now knows this through the Journal of the Wills and why the Jedi must end. Benicio Del Toro's character has been accurately described in previous leaks. In jail, not a major player or Sith Lord, he's the Law Santeca equivalent of this movie. Big star name, not much said before the film, but very little involvement. Leia does not die. I don't know what this means for episode 9. The movie foundationally expands the universe. Snoke, the start of the Jedi Order, the Sith, etc. all happened in the Unknown Regions. Think of it as the Lost Hatch moment. You don't realise how big the universe is and what else is out there until that episode. Um, I think that's um, a reference to the J.J. Abrams series. It didn't quite strike me right away. <laughs> um, and yeah, then the final one. Ray's parents were from the Unknown Regions. Their identity is the equivalent of Superman's parents. Parents that went, want to send their child to a better place and away from what's coming. The Empire's remnant to the First Order. Um, yeah, so just from a hypothetical standpoint, like not really taking it seriously, but just discussing it for the purposes of fun speculation. What do you make of this, Kirsty? Uh, it's interesting in theory. Like, I like the idea of Snoke being closely connected to the Jedi lore. Mm-hmm. Um, they do kind of contradict themselves at one point. They say that the girl was killed, but also that she survived. I think what's going on there is that we've heard that story about two children and a force tree and a boy killing a girl. We've heard that before from someone called Kylo Ten Ray or something. Um, and they were like an infamous leaker, in air quotes, um, around the time of the Irish filming. And they actually got certain things right. So they were able to communicate filming locations before they were confirmed anywhere else. So in certain ways, they clearly had access to some information. But then they posted lots of wild stuff, including this story about like a boy and a girl and the boy killing the girl and the boy and the girl being reincarnated as Kylo and Rey. It was all very bizarre. And I think the person here is alluding to that pre-existing rumour because in that pre-existing rumour, the girl was killed. But he's saying that as the the rumour, as it was originally reported, was a bit garbled. And that what actually happens is that the girl isn't killed. She's just badly injured. So, yeah, he, I don't think he expresses himself well, but I think that's oh, what he's okay. going for. Right. I do like the idea, and I think that The Last Jedi will expand on things like this, that mm-hmm. you have to have that kind of historical context. Um, and it will probably be stuff that people didn't really see coming. Like, yeah. because it does expand things, it's, like, hard to predict. Um Ray's parents being from the unknown regions or at least connected to that somehow. Like that's something that I've wondered about for a while. Um, It seems to be quite a popular theory since Empire's End. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I guess I just really like this because I do like the idea of um, like Snoke and Luke as counterbalancing forces. 
I really like the idea that Luke's the last Jedi. So then you have the last Jedi and the first Jedi. Um, and the fact that Luke is so hung up on destroying the Jedi, I think that would make a lot more sense if this figure who introduced this like corrupt way of following the Force like was still around. Mm. Because I think otherwise it's a bit weird to me. Like, Why would you be so intent on destroying the Jedi just because they had this corrupt foundation? It's not like these corrupt people who built it like are still around to influence it negatively you could technically make the jedi whatever you wanted it to be um so the very fact that he wants to destroy the jedi that says to me that there must be some very real reason why he feels that there's danger in that and why he's so intent on getting rid of it completely Mm. Uh, and i think it might also make sense of something that Snoke says in The Force Awakens when he says, if Skywalker returns, the new Jedi will rise. Yeah. Because like, again, just hypothetically assuming that there's something in this, then Snoke presumably follows the original Jedi and he like fronts that version of following the Force, but he's afraid of Luke because that represents like a schism and the potential creation of a different way of following the force that would be opposed to him and might represent a threat to his power. Yeah, because I don't think they're, even though it's called The Last Jedi, I don't think they're actually going to do away with that name. Yeah. I think it is just going to end up expanding and evolving what it means, like based from the prequel understanding of what the Jedi Order was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I said, like I do think that they have to connect Snoke with Luke and Rey somehow. Like he can't just be kylo ren's villain yes um, in isolation he has to have something that you know has implications for the wider story um so something like this could happen Um, yeah yeah um and i think i also remember some kind of interview of jj abrams from a long time ago where he just made an offhand comment along the lines of the name of the first order is important and we're going to learn why it's called the first order Oh. And I think it'd be really cool if it's called the First Order, so it literally is an allusion to First Jedi Order. Um, obviously, I know the First Order is like mostly a military organization. We haven't like seen Force-sensitive people there apart from Kylo, but I do think it's possible that like Snoke is the figurehead of that organization. That when he commandeered it, he was the one like who said, "We, you are going to embody this First Order that I created, and that I'm going to." bring back to resurgence now i'm entering the galaxy at large that kind of thing Mm. i hadn't heard that quote before but that does make sense Mm. um and i do think it's it's more interesting to connect them to that really ancient jedi order as opposed to just i know that they have this kind of nostalgia for the sith empire but um it would be more interesting if it went back even further than that. Yeah. And in the novelization, Snoke talks about how he's seen empires rise and fall, and you really do get the sense that he's some kind of ancient being. Yeah. So, And I, I'd like to think that a backstory like this would also satisfy all the people who are obsessed with the question of who Snoke is, because there's so much discussion like about who's Snoke, who's Snoke. Like, um, Still Saunders did that great... Um, <laughs> Like, sticker, your Snoke Fury sucks. Yeah. It seems like everyone and their mother has their own Snoke Fury. Well, because everyone wants to connect him to an existing character, and they've they've made it quite clear that he's a new character. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be unimportant. It's going yeah. to be important for the sequel trilogy. Yeah. 
And that's why I think something like this would be cool because it's like, guys, you can't complain. Look how freaking important he is. First ever Jedi. Yeah. It doesn't get much more important. Yeah. And it, that's interesting, isn't it? If you have the first Jedi who's been so twisted like this, mm. it does kind of embody why Luke would think that the Jedi have to end. Because if they have these evil twisted roots mm. that are embodied in Snoke, I don't know, it just kind yeah. of illustrates that a bit more. Yeah, and I think it might also make it easier to understand why Kylo went to Snoke because if like Luke and Ben fell out because of like some massive ideological disagreement over the Force, like after making this big discovery about the true nature of it, it's possible that Ben went off in search of like this myth- mythical figure who like originated like the Force and found Snoke potentially. And like because Snoke was so compelling and he had was literally the person who started the Jedi to begin with, then Kylo wanted to follow him instead of Luke. Mm. So it's like choose your own master and well yeah, but I'm gonna choose the master who's been around for tens of thousands of years and knows so much and has so much power. Yeah. It still raises the question of what Snoke wants, right? Because mm. Han says when he gets what he wants, he'll crush you. So Snoke is using Kylo, but to what end? Like that still doesn't make it clear if if Luke wants to end the Jedi, Snoke must want something else. Mm. I, I don't know. I think maybe it's a question of like the different forms of the Jedi duking it out for supremacy, and mm. like Snoke is like my way is going to win. So it's like an ideological, almost religious war. And Snoke needs Kylo to help him fight that war. And yeah, we will see whether Kylo remains loyal or not. But yeah, like it's the kind of mythology I'd be really excited if something like this panned out because I think there's lots of potential in it. Yeah, you know, I was very sceptical of this when I first read it. And mm-hmm. just through talking to you about it, I'm like, oh, that is actually more interesting than I thought. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I tend to be the one who entertains the wild theories more. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's just go for it. Come on. Let's... Well, it's the kind of thing that I'm like, yeah, this could totally happen, but there's nothing spoilery right now that hints at it. So I'm, I, I struggle sometimes to think of things to say because it's like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I'm not opposed to it on principle, but there's just nothing in the story right now to yeah. show me that that's for sure where they're going. But yeah. Like you say, there are so many Snoke theories out there that I, I still prefer the idea of him being new and that's kind of what we've got hints at. So Yeah. Like just quickly, I also remember that there was a completely separate Reddit rumour where I said something along the lines of you learn there's a backstory where like Snoke was like put down by the Sith and like locked away in like the unknown region somewhere. Mm. Um, and then he was let out. Well, that I can believe because Empire's End does strongly hint at that kind of thing. Like, if it's not Snoke, it's some other kind of dark power out there. Yeah. Um, that Leia and Kylo, can, Ben Solo, even in, in utero, can feel. Yeah. Um, and I, I do so. think there has to be some kind of story along those lines because if he won out of commission, then where was this immensely powerful historic character like throughout the events of, say, the prequels and the original trilogy? Like, so there has to be some reason to explain his absence from those events yeah so being locked away like i don't know i guess like arc of the covenant style yeah it's like a pandora's box kind of thing isn't it yeah like and then being discovered like my bet would be on the first order or maybe luke and ben discovering him mm. um but yeah all bets are off it's very exciting right and so then we can move on to questions and the first question is from tan and they say, Hi, Rachel and Kirsty. Firstly, I love your podcast and all your intriguing observations about Star Wars. I know there's endless speculation about Ray's parentage and general story arcs moving forward. 
So, I was wondering what you think of this recent Reddit post about Jet Lucas's comparison of Anastasia to The Force Awakens. Um, yeah, we just asked for our opinions, basically. Um, so, yeah, what did you think about that Jet Lucas tweet, Kirsty? Yeah, I've seen this tweet before um, and seen a lot of the comparisons because I think it's Claudia Gray in Bloodline. She said that she based the lullaby on the song Once Upon a December from Anastasia. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a connection there, I guess. But I'm honestly not sure of where the similarity is in The Force Awakens, aside from Rey being an orphan who wants to be reunited with her family. Yeah. Because, um, you know, when she leaves Jakku, it's not with the intent of finding them. It's actually about her leaving the past behind, or at least that's how it seems to me anyway. Yeah. Um, And I haven't seen Anastasia in a really long time, but what I remember about the structure of it was that she was looking for her family, but also that her grandmother was trying to find her. Yes. So correct. it was kind that's kind of where the tension came from. It was like you could see both sides and you were like, come on, like you need to find each other. Yeah. Um so we don't see anyone trying to find Ray. Like that's the big thing for me. Um mm. none of the legacy characters even hint at a tragedy of losing a child aside from Kylo. Yeah. Um and we actually have Maz telling Ray to accept that her family are never gonna come back for her. So I understand, like, on on a fundamental level, yes, Ray's an orphan and trying to find her place in the world, but to the Anastasia thing is a really specific comparison, and I'm just not really sure what other people are seeing that I'm not. Yeah. I, I think people place weight on this because Jack Lucas is George Lucas's son. Right. Um, so they think that he has, like, some privileged knowledge about how things are going to pan out. And I absolutely think he would know what his father's plans were for this like potential sequel trilogy because we know George Lucas had ideas at least. And I believe he also wrote a treatment. Um, but don't quote me on that, so I'm not an authority. Um, so yeah, George clearly had ideas for how his sequel trilogy would play out. But as far as we understand, most of those ideas were either changed radically or just scrapped entirely for the films. So you can't really assume that Jet Lucas knows what's going to happen in the story as it stands now. Um, And yeah, I think he's probably just playing games with people, to be honest. (laughs) Not in a cruel way, but just in the way that he knows how Star Wars fans like obsess over everything and they need to know the key to these mysteries. So he's probably being a bit playful when he tweets out a comment like that. And yeah, there are very general similarities to Anastasia, like Kirsty said, in that you have this lost child who can't really remember her family but she knows she wants to find them and be reunited with them but beyond that there's very little common ground like there certainly hasn't been like a puppy introduced although you could argue (laughs) bb8 was the puppy a substitute um and yeah there's no con man there's no fat con man sidekick um yeah it's just there's a long list of reasons why it doesn't really match up very well beyond basic premise of a girl who can't remember where she comes from but wants to find her family and that's something of a trope really it's like you even have that in stuff like sleeping beauty is not the same because it's more that she just doesn't know rather than she forgot but in sleeping beauty the princess doesn't know her family and she's like oh i wish i knew what what was going on with me and blah 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 um so yeah it's more like a general storytelling thing rather than something specific to anastasia yeah, because JJ compared Ray to Cinderella in the commentary, didn't he? So it's it is kind of just a yes, it's a fairy tale thing, but yeah. um, they're he probably said not going to give Cinderella, out. But I'm pretty sure he meant Sleeping Beauty. Well, yeah, because her walking down to the vault to find something that would 
turn her into like a trance or a vision. That is kind of what Aurora does, doesn't she, when she finds the spinning wheel? Yeah. Being drawn to something mystical. But um, yeah, like you, I just think it's kind of a, yes, it's a fairy tale thing. Right, so then to move on to the next question, which is from someone known as a passionate fragmentary girl, <laughs> which is a great name to go by. Um, and they say, hey, girls, just wanted to comment quickly on something from your teaser trailer podcast. I think during the analysis of Luke's lines, you mentioned that him saying, I know I only know one truth could be a sign that he's become much more dogmatic and rigid about his beliefs. But if you take that line in conjunction with the next one, it seems to change the meaning entirely. If Luke is saying, I only know one truth, it's time for the Jedi to end, then that seems to me to suggest more that this is the only truth he knows and that he's not certain about anything else. That, I think, could indicate that everything he thought he knew about the Force has been thrown into doubt and he really just isn't sure about much anymore other than that the Jedi way is so flawed that it can't be an option anymore. Of course, the chink in this theory is that Luke has no solid beliefs about anything, but the Jedi being wrong, then there isn't really anything for him to disagree strongly with Kylo about, although the conflict could revolve more around base ethical disagreements rather than force-focused ones. Anyway, just a thought. Let me know what you guys think. P.S. Keep up the incredible work and a late congrats on the podcast and award. Oh, that's a very nice email. And that's a really, <laughs> really good observation, actually. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but I think she's right, basically. Oh, yeah. And I think, I don't oh, I can't remember what we, uh, the bulk of the discussion was about, but we probably kind of flitted between that idea and that he does have a crisis of faith. Mm. So um, I think when I was talking about Bloodline and how he appears very evangelical to Leia, yeah. it's, it's important to kind of emphasize that that's before whatever goes down with him and Ben. Yeah. So he's very sure of things and then something comes along to throw it into doubt for him mm. um so it's like what he saw happen with vader kind of solidified his beliefs about what the power of the light side and what the jedi were about and everything and then something has happened since then there's been some kind of discovery to help like help him on this arc to be like oh what's going on like everything i thought i knew has been proved irrelevant or wrong somehow yeah um, and he needs raise help to get back back on track in some way yeah um, no i think that's a very good point to make it's um this idea that that line in itself doesn't suggest that he's dogmatic um like it suggests the opposite of dogma really because it suggests i don't really know what's going on anymore to be honest um, just <laughs> that we need to scrap this it's gone horribly wrong um so yeah that's not very dogmatic at all um, I think I might have suggested that that line was dogmatic, so that one's on me. Um, I mean, I guess it is in that you know, you know, he's saying this is what has to happen. Like yes. it's time for the Jedi to end. Yeah. But we don't know the reasons why yet, so it's still very up for debate. Yeah. No, totally. I think that's what I was going for because it is a dogmatic sentiment in that sense because it's like an absolute statement. Like the Jedi have to end is quite a big deal. Um, and that's quite something to believe in wholeheartedly, which Luke seems to. Um, uh, but yeah, like I think it's going to be a very different kind of like dogma and belief to that which he had before everything went down with Ben Solo. Because I think it's clear that a whole series of events happened that just completely transformed who Luke was as a person and turned his belief system on its head. Yeah. Um, right, thanks for that question. The next question is from Stephanie. And she says, 
I haven't found anything on Adam being asked about Raylo, and was just curious for your ladies' opinions on why. I noticed this with a lot of ships, if you would, where they will ask the female about it and never really the male. Sophie Turner was asked about the sudden Jon Snow Sansa Stark attention in Game of Thrones, and she's made a comment that she's been asked that question quite frequently now, but I haven't seen anything with Kit Harrington commenting on it. I find it so strange that fandoms just automatically assume the male wouldn't offer to give a perspective. Like, I'd die and go to heaven if I ever heard Adam whisper Raylo. Huge fan of the podcast, ladies. Keep it up. Um, the, honestly, Davey, Daisy's never been asked about Raylo. No, she hasn't. She brings it up herself sometimes, <laughs> but yes. um, neither of the actors are ever really asked about their character's interaction with the other character. Yes. It seems uh, very suspicious. It makes yeah. conspiracy first to me like a while, to be honest. I was going to say, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on, but I do think the topic is kind of blacklisted because it's surprising, isn't it, that you wouldn't get journalists asking. And it's not even in a shipping sense. It's just like, hey, your cousin, how how does your character feel about that? Yeah. Like, they obviously hate each other, right? Um, mm. And it's it's really weird considering that they're the Luke and the Vader of the sequel trilogy, basically. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's not a, it's not even about shipping. It's not even about the word Raylo. It's yeah. just that they're not asked about it. And I I think the the main time that Daisy's brought it up is just when someone asked her, "What's the big question you get asked about besides Ray's parents?" And she yeah. said, "People are wondering if there's a romance happening between Ray and Kylo Ren." Yeah. Um. So no, Adam hasn't been asked about it, but he's not been asked about Ray at all. Mm. So. And they're basically keeping him under lock and key um, from promotional duties for now. And I can't help but think, and again, this is tinfoil hatty, but I can't help but think it's because it'd be very difficult for him to talk about things without giving things away. And I think they also know that Adam, just anyway, he's not the greatest in these promotional situations. That's not where his strength is. His strength mm-hmm. is acting on screen. Um and I do think he can be very charming and endearing in interviews and everything, but he is very um, like sincere. And I don't think he has like that public persona that um, John and Daisy perhaps do. Um, See, so yeah, I think he struggles more. Um, and to be honest, I hope he really never gets asked about Raylo because oh my god, I think I... he would struggle with it so much, and it would pain me to watch. So yeah, it's funny because <laughs> Stephanie's like, oh, I would die and go to heaven if Raylo was mentioned. I think <laughs> I would die of second-hand embarrassment (laughs) honestly like i because you know she's talking about how game of thrones actors are asked about shipping i cringe inside whenever any actor is asked about shipping yes Um, not as in terms of like the actual romance of the story Mm. but like john boyega was asked recently about storm pilot and i'm just like please why (laughs) no why is it okay to like (sighs) there's just something about it um i i think like once episode eight comes out and like the actual romances are there or even um like i saw steel saunders was asking Marie tran like are we going to see a romance for your character mm. that's a bit different but when you bring up the ship names it kind of connects it more to the fandom side of things rather than the canon side of it yeah and it you can see that it makes some of the actors uncomfortable because it's crossing over into oh god i don't want to offend any of my fans but sometimes we get sent creepy and invasive stuff yeah so didn't John say he was like sent like yeah um, storm pilot fan art or something yeah like yeah. and he played it as kind of a joke but I I really don't like that fans do that yeah I, obviously I, think... I can't do anything about it but it's mm. not cool in my books I think it's crossing a big line 
to be honest, because you're using these real people's likenesses mm-hmm. to do it. And obviously it's different if it's a romance that's confirmed in the films, because then like it much more seems to be like just about those characters rather than about the actors playing those characters. But I think when everything's up in the air and it's not confirmed, I, I do just think that's like a bit weird. I think in any event, it's fine to draw this stuff. It's fine to write fan fiction. It's fine to create fan art. It's just, I do think you're crossing the line when something is purely a ship. It's not something in the show or the film. And then you like push it on the actors because it just puts them in a really awkward situation and probably makes them feel uncomfortable. It does. And I think that's intentional a lot of the time. Like I love Graham Norton, but he does it a lot. Yeah. And it's just like, you are specifically bringing this up to make the actors uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I've I don't... never seen James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender go on the show and not be asked about oh. Eric and Charles shipping. <laughs> that is just like every time they are always asked about it. It's like a run-in thing for him now. Well, like, what are they supposed to say? Just, ah, yeah, our fans are really into it. Like, you know, because they can't offend anyone. They don't want to upset their fan base. Yeah. But well, the they last probably... time they actually got um Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy to act out um fan fan art. Oh god. I... <laughs> they, okay. they took it in quite good humor, but is. Yeah, it's not something like I particularly relish watching. It's more like, oh god, I want to die. Oh god, I want to die. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if something happens within the story, and a journalist asks, "Oh, how do you think your character reacted to that?" or like, "Can you tell us more about the psychology behind that scene?" Mm. That is totally different. But bringing up a ship's name, yeah, I just don't really, I don't see why someone would do that. Like, uh, mm, I don't know. Were <laughs> <laughs> you going to cross into something, Kirsty? Well, I just think it's kind of strange for journalists to do that, honestly. It's like they're kind of drawing on the fandom rather than their own understanding of the story. Yeah. Um, and I, I really do think, again, like I've said this before, I, I do think that the subject of Ray and Kylo's dynamic must be blacklisted because it's bizarre that no journalist would think to ask, like, mm. why do you think Kylo hates Ray so much? Or, yeah. you, know, you know, like, what's going on there? What's What's that part of the story about? Do they recognise each other from the past? Like, there's just no curiosity? Yeah. It's a bit weird. Press junket time for The Last Jedi will be extremely interesting. Let's put it that way. (laughs) They're just going to have to have these stock answers that they memorise. Because, again, I'm bringing up Steel Saunders again because he did such great interviews recently. Mm. Um, When he asked Daisy about Rey's challenges in The Last Jedi, which I would have thought would be a pretty conventional question to ask. Yeah. You know? Um, she had this look in her face like, oh God, I haven't been briefed on that. Like she said it like, oh God, I, I don't, I wasn't given an answer to this question and she had to make something up on the fly. But it's like, that's a pretty standard, you'd hope that that would be a pretty conventional question to ask, right? Yeah. But it's because she's... Patterns. It indicates that they did like a psychological study of the journalists and thought, okay, these are the questions they're going to ask. And number one, of course, would be who are your parents? Right. Uh, because of course, that's what everyone asked Daisy. And I'm sure she's absolutely bonkers about that question by now. Yeah. And it's like, oh, let's ask something about Ray herself. And oh, I wasn't anticipating this. Yeah. You know, like... It's sad, isn't it, really? It is. Yeah. So I really appreciated that interview. He does such a great job. Yeah. And it meant we got that it's BS, basically. Yeah, and it it meant that we got a more genuine response from her. Yeah. Because, you know, people have been making a lot, and I know I'm going off on a total tangent here, this isn't related to shipping, but people have been making a lot about, like, Mark Hamill and Daisy's comments um, about, oh, yeah, I fundamentally disagreed with everything that Ryan wrote. And you can tell that that's been pre-approved by Lucasfilm. 
Yeah. Because they would not be saying something that actually meant that they didn't have faith in the story. It's like, it's it's clearly been approved as part of what they can say in the press because they're saying it over and over. Yeah. Um, And it's about setting audience expectations. Mm. So everything that we see is very prepared unless the journalist somehow manages to navigate, like Steele did, between questions that are blacklisted and questions that they've already prepared themselves for. Yeah. And then and then you get something that might actually have merit. Exactly. So. It's very interesting. Um, right. Then the next question is from Jasper. I've actually cut this question down so it's very long. Um, and I wanted to keep things as brief as possible. So this question is, the theory that I keep coming back to, which I don't hear about very often, is that Ray is a child of the Force. I know audience members like myself watched The Force Awakens and thought, how does this isolated scavenger have all these skills? She can communicate with several species, fly ships she's never flown before, and has great potential in the Force. Yet she was abandoned at a very young age, and presumably has lived on her own ever since. I basically base this theory on the parallels between Rey and Anakin. Both grew up on isolated sand planets, both had their own seemingly natural skills until a wise Jedi pursued them, and both of them have to determine what their next moves are and where they stand in the galaxy. They both have to find their place and tilt the scales of the dark side and the light, not to mention their similar fighting styles. One more notable thing is Kylo's intrigue. If Rey is a Force child, Kylo must sense it. He, as we know from Bloodline, knows of his lineage and that the Force is in his blood. He could see Rey as an ally that has the same potential as him, if not more. There could be further speculation in as far as Kylo in the Jedi Academy, if he knew her there, or if Luke told him about her, etc. But I don't want to bury my head into this whole concept quite yet. I know it is going to be very intriguing to see how the Rayla relationship blossoms, no matter what Rey's parentage is. Basically, I wanted to get your opinion on this theory. You're my favourite podcast. Thanks. Very nice email. Thank you. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think this is a really interesting idea. I'd be cool with this happening. Um, You do obviously have things like um, It Is You, the very mysterious and contentious line in the novelization, And that does seem to indicate that Kylo is aware of Rey or aware of something matching Ray's description. Well, didn't Pablo say that that referred to her being the awakening? Yes, he did. Um, but I guess it's just this sense, like, especially like early on, like, what girl and stuff. Like, has he maybe, like, seen a girl in a vision? Has there maybe been, like, a prophecy? Has there been, like, was that what Ben and Luke were searching for? This, like, mysterious girl who was meant to be, like, some epicenter of the Force? Um, there's just like all those elements, but yeah, like it might just be as simple as Ray is the awakening that Snoke mentioned when he said there has been an awakening. Um, but yeah, like I think it's a plausible theory. Um, there obviously isn't much to back it up right now because we still only have the first part of the story and we're not meant to know the answer yet. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be cool with this, and I think does do think it fits with what we know so far. How about you, Kirsty? Um. I mean, and there are lots of parallels between Rey and Anakin for sure, but I'm just not sure if they would go down the road of her being a child of the Force the same way that he was. Yeah, I don't think it can be like a virgin birth thing. I do think she has to have like proper parents and stuff. Um, like I kind of just wonder if it's going to be more like the idea the Force chose Rey to be its champion, which is kind of the text in The Force Awakens anyway. 
because the Force chooses Rey when the lightsaber goes to her rather than Kylo. Um, sure, but does... I mean, that doesn't make her, like, the chosen one, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's a question about what exactly her relationship to the Force is. Um, and we just don't know yet, basically. It's a mystery. But she's mm. clearly incredibly strong in it, and there is going to be some sort of explanation for that, one would imagine. Um so yeah, that's something we can look forward to, I think. Okay, and then our next question is from Albert. And he asks, What are your thoughts on Aiden Versio, the protagonist of the new Battlefront 2? I was surprised that you didn't discuss her more when you brought up Battlefront 2 on the show. Though I totally understand because there was a lot to cover um, of Star Wars Celebration Orlando already. She'll be appearing in the novel Inferno Squad and there'll be an interwoven narrative between the novel and the campaign. And she's unique in being the first Imperial Special Forces protagonist we've had. Um, also, Battlefront 2 could show us characters from Shattered Empire, etc. So I'd love to know who you'd like to see show up. I hope you do get the chance to play it on PS4. Right, so yeah. Um, whew, with this one, yeah, no, we, we didn't really mention her. And the main reason was just there was so much to cover. Um, yeah, as Albert's observed, um, it's impossible to cover everything from Star Wars Celebration because there's news on every single conceivable facet of Star Wars and we do obviously try to keep the focus on the sequel trilogy itself um, as in like the films and the characters from those films and everything like that Um, so yeah that's the main reason why we didn't really touch upon her that much Um, I haven't looked very deeply into the news about this character but I'm always happy to see a new female protagonist and I really like the looks of her from the trailer Um, she looked like a really cool character and it's really interesting to see it from the Imperial side again it reminds me of um, Lost Stars where we obviously saw a big insight into like the Imperials and their ideology and why they do what they do and how they're obviously convinced that they're the ones in the right and yeah, it's um, interesting to get that angle. Um, I haven't read Shattered Empire, so I can't comment on who I'd like to see from there in the game, to be honest. Um, how about you, Kirsty? I haven't read Shattered Empire either, so I can't comment on that part of the question. Um, I might read it at some point and then I can come back to it. But um, I am much more interested in reading Inferno Squad now that we know that she's going to be in Battlefront as well. Because even though I was a big fan of Dark Disciple by Christy Golden, Inferno Squad, when I first heard about it, it didn't really... Uh, scream to me as something that I had to read um, but I like the fact that they do connect things in new canon so I might read it now um, mm. and like I said at the beginning of the show I only played Battlefront for the first time at a friend's house this week so I'm not I'm not really that much of a gamer um, and I still might skip it because even though like the Rey and Kylo playable characters are tempting me I'm just not that into games like I know I would probably lose interest after a while um so yeah like you my Star Wars is still very much on the saga films like that's kind of why I'm here um but I'm excited for other people who are really excited about this you know Mm. um and this is more of a general comment that you touched upon so I'm not directing this at Albert but um and I hope I don't come across as a bit defensive but it's just kind of I want to kind of emphasize to people that the reason we started the podcast was that we're super excited about the sequel trilogy. So that's kind of our niche. Um, I just want to warn listeners, like that's what we're going to keep talking about as our primary focus. So if you get bored of that, sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we got a message a couple of weeks ago from someone who was actually quite angry about the way we talked about Rebels um, when we had Erin on the show. Mm. Um, 
And we're going to touch upon things like that as they come out. And obviously, Twin Sons was a very important moment in the fandom in general. And people's responses to it were very interesting. So we just kind of wanted to give our two cents. But it's not our primary focus. Um, and it probably never will be. So if we sound a little dismissive or we're kind of making fun of something we don't think is all that great, that's just going to be the way it is. And we're okay with people disagreeing with us. You know? Yeah. Um, and there are lots of really great Rebels focused podcasts out there that I'd be happy to recommend. Um, my favorite one to listen to is Rebels Chat at the Wookiee Gunner by Jonah Marie. She is fantastic. She loves Rebels so much. She's like his biggest fan. Um, Sal Perella's at um, Making Star Wars is a huge fan as well. So there are people out there who want to talk about it and are probably much more interesting to listen to than us about that topic. Um, so yeah like every podcast has its niche and we have ours and yeah. I, I hope i hope we've never like kind of given out the impression that we're fans of everything across the board star wars in equal measure and that we can talk about them all to the same degree because there's just so much of it mm. um so the sequel trilogy is our focus yeah exactly that is what we are most passionate and enthusiastic about and we're in love with those characters and we're fascinated by that story um so naturally we're going to be quite positive when we talk about sequel trilogy stuff because we're so invested and we really care about it and want to learn the outcome um whereas something like rebels because while we've consumed it like to different degrees obviously Kirsty's a much much more committed viewer of rebels than i am i've barely seen any of it um like because we don't have the same investment in or interest in say something like rebels it means we are going to talk about it in different terms and not always the most fond terms because, as Kirsty pointed out, it's just not our favourite part of Star Wars. Um, and yeah, like we don't mean to like diminish anyone's enjoyment of these other parts of Star Wars by like not talking about them or talking about them in less than enthusiastic tones. Um, but at the same time, sometimes things happen where we do want to comment on things that are outside of our normal remit and we're not always like complimentary um but at the same time we always want to be honest and we never like to do like bs and like pretend that we love everything in equal measure because we're not undiscriminating we don't just consume everything because it's star wars um and yeah and i like to think that's something that people enjoy the fact that they know we're honest and that we mainly focus upon the things we love because obviously we don't want to be negative all the time or focus on negativity but at the same time we are going to say when things like don't please us or disappoint us in some way so yeah I hope everyone's fine with that and yeah everyone is welcome to have different opinions so our opinions are just that they're our personal views we don't expect anyone else to share them. Yeah, and you know when we've got attention from the wider fandom, when we've kind of guested on other shows like Fangirls Going Rogue, it's always been with the focus that people have been commenting, "Oh wow, like you're a sequel trilogy focused podcast." There aren't that many of those around. Like, obviously, a lot of podcasts have started since The Force Awakens came out, but they're still in short supply compared to more general podcasts or people who are kind of a lot more invested in things like the prequels or the TV shows. So it's I mean, I think it's good that we've got a niche that other people might not necessarily have, right? Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree with everything we say, because um, obviously our reading of the film has been quite controversial. Um, but that's just what we want to talk about. So that's the content that we put out. 
Yeah. So. No, totally. Um, right, then to move on, the next question is from Fallen Gems. And this goes, between the endless theories of who Ray's parents are and the pissing matches over whether or not Kylo Ren <laughs> is a legitimate Skywalker, people don't talk much about where Finn's family is. Perhaps Finn will fi- find out wh- what planet he was abducted from, getting the info from f- the First Order data logs. So do you think Finn finding his family will be a story told, maybe in novels, comics, TV shows? Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question. So it is a bit of a shame to just see how Finn's personal background and family are just utterly overlooked. So everyone's so fixated on Ray. I'd actually love it if we found out who Finn's parents were before we found out who Ray's parents were. Um, so I think that would just be a really cool subversion of people's expectations. Um, because I do think that will come up for him. Because while it's obviously not really overtly an element of his character in The Force Awakens that he wants to find his family, I'd expect when he actually has a moment to like sit down and reflect and relax and he isn't like, on the run for his life, he probably will think, yeah, I had my whole childhood stolen from me by the First Order. Where did I come from? Who actually am I? What's my real name? He's naturally going to ask those questions. So yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see that story told. And I'd actually quite like to see it told in the films, or at least have the seeds planted for it in the films. Maybe like even in episode nine or something. Um, mm. How about you, Kirsty? My opinion is quite different from yours, because I, I think it's possible that they will tell the story eventually, but I don't think it would be in the films, because as you say... The Force Awakens never really presents his past as a mystery in the same way it does Rey's. I completely agree that Rey's has been overblown in fandom. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's more of a refle- reflection of what Rey wants and what Finn wants. So their drives in the story are different. Yeah. Um, Finn is like, oh, I need to get away from the First Order. So people are invested in seeing him find where he belongs in that aspect. But he's his line about his family is almost kind of throwaway. It's like, yeah, I was taken from a family I'll never know. Yeah. Like, it's, it's almost true. like he's made peace with that. So yeah. I can definitely see it happening at some point in a book or something like that. But um, I don't think it's going to be a core part of the trilogy in the same way that Ray's past and future will be. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like the way yeah, that they're sure. connecting her to things. Yeah. Um, because, and this is something that I think has been raised quite a lot in terms of like how Finn as a stormtrooper is characterized Um they were going through lots of if you look at the art for the force awakens they were going through lots of different possible backgrounds for finn's character or sam as he was called originally yeah um and it was quite late in the game when lawrence carson said oh you're not thinking big enough you need to make him a stormtrooper or something like that so because of that i don't think it's his past that's supposed to be super relevant i think it's his characterization as this anonymous everyman who mm. then decides to create his own destiny yeah so I'm not sure that it's kind of a different archetype from Ray, right? So. Yeah, no, sure. No, I understand. And you're right. Um, It's probably going to be important not to have two characters with the same hang up, which you would kind of get if they go down the route where Finn becomes obsessed with finding his family, because then you have two main characters who have the same general goal. And yeah, that would like be an issue from a storytelling perspective. So yeah, basically you want me over. <laughs> Well, I mean, we'll see. Like, I'm not saying that won't happen. I'm just skeptical about it because it's yeah, not sure. It's not something that was presented in The Force Awakens. But I completely understand where people are like, oh, the, all the emphasis is on Rey and not Finn. Like, I, I do think that Finn is shortchanged a lot in fandom. Yeah. Um, But maybe people are just waiting to see the rest of the story because 
he was kind of his ending in the force awakens was just more open-ended right like yeah it's true and this is something that john talked about at the last jedi panel as well he was like he still hasn't decided what he wants to do like where does he belong is he going to fight for the resistance or is that not something that he's actually going to stand for so we'll find out exactly um right then the next question is from milo and he says i think luke and snoke have the same goal which is to bring balance to the force in the teaser we hear luke say it's time for the jedi to end i think we all know it's a metaphor for reinventing or going back to the old ways which was balance and it is said that snoke wanted kylo because he had the balance of dark and light in him why would he want a force user like him if he doesn't want to bring balance I think the only difference is with one, the emphasis is on the light, and with the other, the emphasis is on darkness. What do you two think about this idea? I think it's really intriguing, actually. Mm. Yeah, it kind of fits with the Reddit thing you were talking about earlier, right, I suppose? Yeah, no, it does. Like, these two rival ideologies with the Force. And, yeah, I didn't touch upon it back then, but it's certainly very possible that that could be their ultimate goal to bring balance. But it would be interesting to see Snoke and Luke have very, very different ideas about what constitutes balance um, and very different ways of going about it. Because you could argue that the Empire in the old films, that was about implementing order and like a consistent system of rule across the galaxy. And that's something we're seeing like a lot in the new canon books and stuff. That's the justification for the existence of the Empire like having this centralized consistent government where it can control everything and like it maybe is better for crime and it like stamps out corruption and like, all these issues and stuff um so yeah like in in a way that was trying to achieve a kind of like equilibrium or balance but it did it in an awful authoritarian way <laughs> which mm. is why it's evil um so yeah it's possible that we're seeing something different some like a similar kind of end goal but with like a much more mystical element to it that's really interwoven with the force and like the big questions about what that is and what it means to use it and stuff. Yeah, for sure. The stuff about Snoke knowing that Kylo has equal capacity for light and dark is kind of interesting because I know we we heard about that from like the novelization and the visual dictionary, but in the film it's like heavily implied that Snoke doesn't want kylo to tap into the light side right it's kind of about him resisting it Mm. um and i don't know it's like he wants to cut him off from everything that's light like the compassion that he feels from his family and for ray so i'm not sure about that yeah it's like he wants to use him because he knows he has a lot of power and he could be used for light and good but he's he's using him for darkness yeah it doesn't seem like snoke is that much interested in the light Although it'd be interesting to see that subverted because obviously right now he does seem to be like this dark golem-like figure. Yeah, they could totally change it up and surprise us all. Yeah, and we have interesting things to say about Snoke later on that might challenge our preconceptions <laughs> of that character. <laughs> see us after spoilers, guys. <laughs> um, right, and then finally, the last question is from an anonymous user. And they say, hi there. First off, I just wanted to say your podcast means a great deal to me. I'm not saying this to get pity or anything, but I really don't have any friends. So naturally, I don't have anyone to nerd out with. Your podcast really filled a gaping hole in my fandom, and I truly appreciate you and Kirsty and think you're wonderful people. That's so nice. Thank you. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> it really, really touches me. It's, it's so, so lovely. It makes 
but already felt worthwhile i love doing the podcast i'm always happy to talk obsessively about star wars but just messages like this it's just wonderful yeah i it still surprises me that i don't know like i don't know if you feel this way but when we started the podcast i kind of just thought a few of our shipper friends on tumblr would listen to it and that would be it (laughs) yeah here we are a podcast award later yes hitting the big leagues (laughs) (laughs) it's a bit humbling so thank you yeah no thank you so much um right and my question is what do you think of a Leia spin-off film? I personally think it would be a great way to honour Carrie's legacy if done in the right way. Um, and yeah, I would be totally down for this. Same. Seriously, if I had my way, there would be no Han Solo spin-off film. <laughs> There'd be a Leia Organa spin-off film. I would like both. <laughs> yeah, like, like, don't get me wrong, I'm obviously looking forward to the Han Solo film. I want to see it. Um, but just for me, I think the Leia story is probably going to be way more interesting. Um, I just love all the stuff that's going on with Leia's background because she's like a teenage diplomat and like a complete rebel. Um, the thing that gives me pause is that they've just announced that new Claudia Gray book, mm. which seems like it would be in that timeline that you would expect a Leia spinoff to be in. Yes, that's true. So I'm really excited to read that. But the fact that they would announce a book like that, I mean, they're not announcing Han Solo books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So sure. I would love it, but I'm just not sure it'll happen or yeah. at least not for a while in, in like a hypothetical scenario where like it would happen like what kind of story would you want it to be like would you want it to be like her just getting started in the galactic senate and like being drawn into this world of like espionage and assisting the rebel alliance and stuff i guess like i would like to know more about like Alderaan as a culture and her parents and yeah what really motivated her because in the in a new hope like i love her in a new hope but it's very much like she's just there already fully formed as a character in luke's journey and yeah you know you want to see how she gets to that point and i'm hoping that book answers a lot of those questions yeah and um, i'd love to see if she knew about padme growing up because yeah. it does seem like she's aware that she's adopted so is the kind of thing where i could see her being told that she was padme's daughter um, albeit told not to like shout it from the rooftops because <laughs> I think it would certainly attract Vader's attention. <laughs> yeah, because there are references to Padme in Bloodline and it's like, okay, so if she knew about her then, at what point did she know about her? Because it's not like Luke knew or yeah. like who who would have told her? Mm. Did Obi-Wan appear as a force ghost to Leia and tell her all about Padme's story? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Actually, isn't there a thing in Bloodline about how she only found out that Padme was her mother like after the events of the original trilogy? I, I can't remember. I need to I check that. I can't remember. I know, she, I know she's referenced, but I, that's the thing. I don't know how long she'd known or in, in what level of detail she knew about her. Yeah. So many questions. <laughs> yeah, um, more, more Padme references and more Leia, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a great idea. And yes, I give it to me. <laughs> um. Right, now is basically the watershed moment. So we're about to start talking about spoilers. And there's lots of spoilers. So please, if you do not want to know about things that are very likely to happen or appear in The Last Jedi, and perhaps beyond, then please stop listening here. And I'm going to put the um, Rogue One klaxon sound here. Just so that everyone knows that it's time to wave bye-bye if you want to be safe. Um, So yes, see you next time, friends. (laughs) But for those of us who are shameless spoiler fiends, welcome. 
<laughs> Dark side. I shouldn't. Do it. So the first spoiler story is from Making Star Wars. Apparently Luke is wearing a very special necklace. <laughs> right, and this is from Jason Ward. During pre-production for the Star Wars The Last Jedi, I heard rumours about Luke Skywalker having a kyber crystal he was protecting and or hiding. One version of the story basically went that Skywalker appeared to have pieces of Darth Vader's lightsaber on him, but they were obscured and you wouldn't really notice unless you were into the lore. Those kinds of rumours are always fun, especially when they're coming from credible avenues of information. I have been told that in Star Wars The Last Jedi, our favourite Skywalker <laughs> is a pretty cool necklace that might connect to that rumour. The shape supposedly is sort of like that of a wooden dog whistle when seen from a distance. I know that's a weird analogy, but that's what I was told. However, the interesting part is when you look at the bottom of the necklace hanging around the neck of Luke Skywalker, you will see a red crystal protruding from the bottom of it. Um, yeah, this is obviously an abbreviated version, but I basically cut out Jason's speculation because we're going to do our own speculation. So, yes, and I don't want to be here for five minutes reading a long article. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what do you think about this story, Kirsty? Do you... Are you excited about hearing Luke's going to have a kyber crystal? Do you think there's going to be any implications? Um, I'm not sure, actually, because remember when Rogue One spoilers were coming out and we heard about her necklace? Yes, it's true. A big deal is made out of it, and it's obviously like part of the costuming, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be part of the story. Yeah. Um, so it's possible, but I'm also skeptical of it being Vader's as well, because um, after this came out, Star Wars Newsnet wrote an article about how it's not Vader's. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they weren't basing it on insider stuff. I think they're basing it on like obscure stuff, like script things from Return of the Jedi. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so I'm not sure if they had any actual sources to refute it. Um, they did have sources, but I think they were just like canon books and the script and everything. Um, but yeah, for me, this kind of thing, I think it will just be a detail of the costume in rather than a plot point. I might right. be completely wrong. But I would have expected if it were to be some kind of major plot point, then Jason would have heard something that would support that idea. Because if, like, say this were to be the MacGuffin, like, and everyone's chasing after Luke's red um, kyber crystal necklace, I'd expect to have, like, corroborating information that would back that up. And it yeah. just doesn't seem like it's the kind of story being told from so you can tell. Yeah, it sounded like his speculation was that Kylo would want the Kyber Crystal because he wants to be Vader. Yes, that's based on speculation, yeah. That kind of falls into the realm of Vader's cape. Yes. That it's like people connecting things and it confirming their own bias of where they think the character's going. Yeah. But Kylo's not coming to Wak 2 to find Vader's Kyber Crystal. <laughs> no. You know, he's coming after Rey and Luke. Yeah. Like, that's that's the important story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It like we distracts from that. Like if it's like, oh hi, uncle, just give me the necklace. That's what I want. Then I'll be on my way. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like really we about those personal relationships rather than give me the freaking crystal. I do think it's possible that it could play into the thing that they're building on wider canon about the importance of artifacts. So yeah. obviously we have Kylo with Vader's helmet. We have the importance of Anakin's saber. Uh, it's the idea that you know a few decades after the Return of the Jedi, all of these things are seen as historical objects. Like they have significance, but I'm not sure the film itself would address that. Yeah. So we'll just see. Yeah, exactly. My feeling at the moment is that it's likely to just be a costume in detail, but we will see 
if it proves to have any more significance than that. Yeah, the kind of thing that's mentioned in the visual dictionary, maybe that it's you know Luke Skywalker's carrying his father's crystal, but yeah, it's just a way to connect Luke with Vader. Yeah, which it's, I appreciate, you know, um, but I doubt it'll be a major plot point. Yeah. And it might perhaps be like reflective of his ideology. Like if Luke is like maybe opening up more to the dark side, then perhaps it might help to channel that if he does have a like red kyber crystal and all the like dark side connotations of that. He might like have an equal balance of dark side and light side artifacts and then like draw upon both of them in order to like balance the force. So he's clearly been doing all kinds of like freaky weird force investigation stuff mm. post Return of the Jedi, so it might be a way of conveying that, but yes, we've also um, right. And then the next article is also from making Star Wars, and it's basically indicating that Snoke is an ostentatious glitter lord. Um, <laughs> that's my terminology. I um, think this is one of my favourite spoilers. <laughs> it's so amazing, right? <laughs> I love it so much. Um, it's probably going to take like five minutes to read because it's really long. Do you and want this- me to read it? Oh, if you could, that'd be amazing. Um, I basically cut it down just to make it clear for people. Um, but yeah, it's such an epic, epic article. See so, yeah, if you can read it, Kirsty. Oh least. yeah, thank you. Don't want your voice to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Snoke is looking more and more like a new character. Snoke wears a gold silky robe with a very ornate pattern on it in The Last Jedi. In fact, I think you can pretty much see the robe on page two two six of the Art of the Star Wars: The Force Awakens. What is also interesting is his slippers are like jester shoes or genie slippers. I think the robe and shoes are lined in red too, so he's styling. (laughs) He has a very blood and gold vibe to him. Another interesting detail is that Snoke wears a fancy ring on his left hand. Remember when I told you guys about those long puppet hands they had made for him? Well, his hands are decrepit and his pinky is sort of shriveling inward. But that doesn't stop him from wearing a ring about the size of a ring pop, if you remember the old candy. (laughs) However, the stone in the ring is black and it could be a black kyber crystal according to the rumours around the ring. There will be more on that side of things later. I don't have a lot of details on his throne room, but it is opulent. This guy cares about money. Back when he was a good-looking young person, he was probably a playboy of sorts. Unlike the Sith, I think wealth means a lot to Supreme Leader Snoke based on his appearance. They based Snoke's design on a marble aesthetic and I think his throne room has white marble and gold trim. Things get weirder when it comes to the new Praetorian Guards, of which there are six to eight of them. These guys are a new spin on the royal guards that Emperor Palpatine used. They have glossy red armour, shell plating, and matte red cloth elements for the capes and such. The helmets are a lot like the far-out designs they came up with for Kylo Ren in Star Wars The Force Awakens, where it was sort of a medieval helmet with upward-facing shields with no eye holes. They're faceless red guards in red armour with red capes and martial arts weapons. I'm not entirely convinced the Black Knights that show up on Arc 2 are the Knights of Ren anymore, and I do wonder if they're related to these guards or if they're lesser versions of the Elite Guards. It is weird that there are other melee-based guys in knight-type outfits and they're not the Knights of Ren. Maybe the Knights of Ren are simply Kylo's unit of Elite Warriors and aren't that special in the big scope of things. It would seem the Guards would be above the Knights of Ren in this context. Snoke will be on his Mega Destroyer for a lot of the film from what I understand. I think his palace could be inside the ship, once referred to as a mobile command unit. The Mega Destroyer itself is shaped like a flying wing. It just might be the biggest ship we've seen in Star Wars outside of a Death Star. You know how the classic Star Destroyer has three large engines? I think this one has at least ten, and they're double stacked. 
This is also the setting where the First Order BB units can be glimpsed with their hexagonal-shaped heads and glossy black bodies with vents that glow red on the inside. This squad rolls deep. <laughs> oh my god, the First Order is pimping. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. It, it makes me think of like people in real life, like when they have like like gold-plated like limos. And... It's like Trump. Yeah, it's like just like Trump, exactly. So I kind happy. of wonder if it's like going to be a deliberate commentary on him. To some it extent. might be. <laughs> in uh, which case, made a prop, major props to Ryan. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is very funny. I'm excited about these BB units. <laughs> Deep they sound on awesome. BB8. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, in the um, like bad lip reading of the Force Awakens, I, I love the voice they give to BB8s. They make BB8 sound quite evil. Like at one moment <laughs> they have BB8 say, "Destroy them all." <laughs> And I kind of think that the demon BB-8 units would be like that. Yeah, Ryan was hinting in the Last Jedi panel about, oh yeah, we'll see much more of BB-8 and everything. And I think this might be what he's talking about because there's not only one BB-8, which makes total sense, right? That yes. you they introduce this one droid, but then actually he's obviously part of this new generation of droids. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, and obviously excellent for merchandising purposes. Yeah, like an evil um, squad of BB-8. <laughs> It'd be great. The thing that stood out to me here, I've only just really picked up on it because I read it a while ago, but the idea of Snoke having genie slippers kind of plays into those theories of Snoke being something that's unlocked in the unknown regions. It's like yeah. he's a genie, you know? Yes. That was hidden away and has all these mysterious powers. Mm. It's a very good point. And I do kind of think that this doesn't really scream new money to me. The fact that he's very like ostentatious and has these like beautiful clothes and this luxurious setting, like I don't think it means like he's struck oil <laughs> right. or like whatever the Star Wars equivalent of struck oil is. It does suggest to me more he's someone who's very very proud and he desires to be esteemed and to have people pay homage to him. So he's like not moving into that thing unless it's gold. Unless I get a beautiful wardrobe. Unless I have this amazing squad of elite guards. Like, do you know what I mean? He's the kind of guy who probably had a long list of requirements for where he was going to live. Yeah. Because he is that big. Yeah, exactly. There's something that seems kind of odd to me about him not being sure whether those knights on Octu are knights of Ren or these other kind of guards. Because those guards are in red. Yes. So wouldn't it have been relatively easy for people to tell the difference? Yeah, like we've seen photos of those people on in Ireland, and obviously they're like potato quality because they were shot from a mile away or something ridiculous. But they pretty clearly all seem to be in black. Mm. Um, yeah, which would seem to exclude these guys. But I think so much is up in the air about what exactly was filmed in Ireland and what's going on when Kylo turns up. So I kind of think it's maybe just Jason covering his back. Because in the earlier article, it was just, this is almost certainly the Knights of Ren. And Jason is clearly getting the impression now that he can't be sure on that anymore. Um, See, I think he's just covering his back. Yeah, I've got to say, I'll be pretty disappointed if it's not the Knights of Ren who go to Octu, because then how else are they going to fit them into the story? Yeah, it'd be a waste to make a big thing of it. Like, you, Master of the Knights of Ren. It's like, why mention that if they're never going to turn up or be acknowledged again? It's very strange. Yeah. I just, yeah, if he's the master of them, then they should accompany him on at least one mission that we see. I know we saw them in the flashback in The Force Awakens, but you'd hope it would be something a bit more significant than that. Yeah. 
Otherwise, it does just seem to be like something that's not really real. It's just something it's said without ever actually existing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I love this rumor so much. And it's so interesting because it seems so different from what we've seen with Palpatine. Because I do think Palpatine seems quite worldly in the prequels. He has like art, he has like fancy clothes and stuff. But by the time you get to the Palpatine of the original trilogy, he's very much like, I'm your archetypal Sith Lord. Which means he just has like very basic decor and like very simple, plain black robes where they communicate nothing apart from me evil I am. Yeah, it sounds a bit more like Count Dooku. Yes. Like does. Revel- reveling in the wealth and power. Yeah. Exactly. It's all about these like status symbols. And it also suggests to me that he's like very materialistic. And I think that might tie into like obviously this is heavy extrapolation, but it might tie into how he sees like Kylo or Ben, because he has all these like material items that are beautiful and that are decorative and that they're there to like be symbols of his own magnificence. Mm. And I kind of think there's something almost like possessive and um like egotistical in him getting like the last skywalker heir to be one of his possessions and having him in his collection almost because you do see in the force awakens that he very much is conscious of keeping control of kylo and <laughs> one of my favorite details i've mentioned before is that kylo has a tracker on his belt so it's like no you bring that boy back go and get him yeah so he has like no personal freedom basically he's treated like a dog or a cat that has like a chip in it um and that he can be fetched back if he's like at risk of running off yeah and in the novelization doesn't snow describe him as this beautiful piece of marble that he can sculpt something from mm. it's like he's a person <laughs> yeah it's a bit creepy to be honest so yeah he's just like another part of his collection because of his legacy like his lineage yeah He's like something he wanted to have, like almost like to show off, like look at him, like he's mine. Ha ha ha. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I know it's really creepy. Um, but yeah, I just love it. I love um that it seems to suggest we're getting a very very different like super villain, so to speak, for this trilogy because there were lots of concerns that Snoke is just going to be Palpatine 2.0, but this is very very different from Palpatine. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, right, then the next story is Porg Madness, <laughs> the very special reunion. Um, I got a bit eccentric for the title, so do forgive me. Um, right, and yes, again, this is from Making Star Wars. And it's just some clarification on stuff. And Jason says, The birds we once thought could have been convoys are actually called Porgs, and we think that name is sticking. These are the birds we first reported on that are based on puffins, which are native to Skellig Michael. They do look a lot like the birds we saw in the animated Star Wars shows. However, these have solid black eyes. The bodies are a soft white with a tinge of grey. On the corner of the head near the eye line, the feathers are orange. Back when we thought they could be the birds we saw in Rebels, people told us to leave some room open for the animated show's interpretation. Well, they're called Porks, and they're a distant cousin at best. I certainly see why sources thought they could be the same thing, but I highly doubt they are now. In The Last Jedi, you'll see baby porks that have recently hatched. There's a nest full of them, and they're super realistic and kind of gross-looking as fresh hatchlings. In Ireland, they filmed some stuff on the side of a cliff with a nest of porks. I so want to learn about what the hell goes on in that sequence. (laughs) 
Most of the reports about the creatures we heard revolved around Luke Skywalker, but I've also heard that they filmed some fun and rather touching moments between the Porgs and Chewbacca. I rather like the idea. Chewbacca's best friend was killed just the day before, and now he's on this ancient Jedi world communing with the birds and getting back to his Wookiee roots. There's something beautiful about that. Speaking of Chewbacca, I've also heard that Luke's journey is rather emotional in The Last Jedi, and there's a beautiful moment where he's reunited with Chewbacca and R2-D2. They're going to see Luke Skywalker, Chewbacca and R2 together again, and then Luke is going to train Rey like Yoda trained him, but with his own spin on it. I think Luke's reluctance to train Rey is wholly different from Yoda's reluctance about Luke being the right candidate. Luke will tell Rey about her true connection to the Force and what it means. It is also Rey that brings this non-blood family together again in the wake of the tragedy of losing Han Solo in Star Wars The Force Awakens. It really makes you think about how much bloodlines don't matter as much as the families we make. I'm looking forward to finally seeing these birds on screen and that reunion between Luke Skywalker and some of his oldest friends that have become family to him. It sounds like the world of Act 2 is going to be amazing and not only are the mystical creatures going to be very interesting, but the events that take place there are going to be some of the most memorable from anything in the entire saga. I have faith. I love how so much of this is about preparing people for Rain not to be a Skywalker. I was going to say, why <laughs> I'm interested in the fact that Jason is in kind of invested in that. Maybe he feels quite defensive because he's been one of the proponents of saying that Ray probably isn't going to be related. Yes. And he probably gets a lot of flack for that. But it's just kind of like, yes, this is a common theme in Star Wars. Friends as family. <laughs> in a separate story, um, which I will talk about here as well, because it's part of the same thing, we have a lovely illustration of the Porks, courtesy of um, Lumberjack Nick. And I must say, they don't really look like birds to me. They look more like seals <laughs> um, from the illustration. But obviously, it's hard to say how close to reality the illustration actually is because Lumberjack Nick also drew Kylo and that creates a very very different impression from actually seeing the photos of Kylo in the film. Yeah his style is quite stylized isn't it? It's not yeah. too literal. Exactly yeah so they look like adorable little baby seals to me <laughs> but I expect they're probably more bird-like in the films um, and they're clearly like merchandise merchandise doing the thing. Um, <laughs> Because they are really cute. I'd say they're also a bit creepy and disconcerting to an extent. Because they have eyes that could almost be described as soulless. Um, but I think they're big enough that they transcend soulless to go right back around to being cute. Mm. So yeah, do you find them cute, Kirsty? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll probably be buying one of these if they make them as toys. Um, if. Of course they will. But um... Star Wars, Kirsty. <laughs> yeah. dice everything. But I like the idea of them finding a way to incorporate Chewbacca still because I was a bit concerned that he would be a bit redundant now. Yes. Um. So if they're going to have this emotional reunion between him and Luke, which makes sense, and then he's kind of part of that emphasizing the nature side of the story on Octo, I think yeah. that could be really cool. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's nice to see um, like Chewbacca's grief and all of their grief, actually, about Han like acknowledged for those characters. Because one of my problems with the original trilogy is how there's never much like reflection or looking back on things. Mm. Like you never really see Luke thinking, "Oh, I'm sad that Obi Wan died." <laughs> like beyond like one scene where he's like, "Oh, open," and you see <laughs> nothing with like Leia grieving for her whole freaking planet. Obviously, I know they've tried to compensate more for that in like the books and the time materials, but still, it wasn't there in the film. 
Yeah. And it's nice to see them thinking more about those emotional elements now. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's something to welcome. Yeah, we've got got any more to say on the porks? Um I don't think so. I mean, because I mean, a lot of this doesn't have story implications just yet, right? No. It's like, oh, they're going to be there and there's going to be something involving Chewbacca, but we don't know how they relate to the, the, the main story. Yeah. So. That was a deliciously random Reddit rumor. No, actually, it was for 4chan one. I, I don't place much stock in it, but it described um like Kylo being attacked by the porgs. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I would like to see that, but... <laughs> I think it would be hilarious. We'll see. <laughs> like I, I posted a joke on um, Jedi Council forums where the porgs are like are so cute they're going to be treated like the Care Bears, and you know like the Care Bears they have these like rays of love come from their chests. Mm. I could just see like the porgs like smothering Kylo until like he becomes redeemed. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's how it'll love. happen. Yeah, <laughs> the porgs will redeem him. <laughs> they're the only appropriate candidates, you know. That <laughs> um. Right, then finally, we're going to go back a little way to episode 176 of Now This Is Podcasting, because this was the last full episode before Celebration that they did, and they basically completely splurged on spoilers, so it was really funny because there'd be months and months of so little, and then suddenly it's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> so they were just pouring spoilers out in just this one podcast, and it was wonderful, great, loved it, but just a bit overwhelming. Um. Yeah, and all these spoilers, they're summarised by MidnightMan11 on Reddit. So thank you for doing that, because it saved me having to write laborious notes. Um, Yeah, and just to go through things, they said, The First Order is much scarier than they were in TFA. The set design and vehicle design is much more original and unique than in TFA. The figures dressed in black who were spotted in Ireland are not the Knights of Ren. So it's interesting. So I do think he was more emphatic about that in the podcast than he was mm. in the article. Okay. Um, but I'd probably be inclined to go with the article version where he just says he's not sure rather than they're categorically not. Um, so yeah, we will see. Kylo Ren is on a quest to prove himself. He has a new ship that is customised to resemble the Falcon. It's speculated that Kylo will begin a journey back to the light side. Luke Skywalker will have neither a lightsaber nor a reunion with Leia. That really hurt to hear, I must say. I know. I <sighs> hope that's not true. The, uh, we're talking about the Leia reunion, by the way, not the lightsaber. <laughs> yes. I know that some fans are really into the li- lightsaber. That's not something I personally care about. But I hope I hope he has it for other people's sake. But yeah. the, the Leia reunion is something that I'm still really holding out for. Yeah, I really want that to happen. I'd be heartbroken if it didn't. Um, Benicio Del Toro's character may be dressing as a dirty hobo to hide his identity. He's been held in a filthy, old-fashioned prison. The White Planet is definitely a salt planet, not a snow planet. First Order ATSTs will appear during the salt planet battle, along with sleeker B-Wings and the Gorilla Walkers. Gemstones are used against the Walkers. I'm guessing that's like an allusion to like the red smoke we see coming out. Yeah. From the ground in the trailer. Um, there's an emotional reunion scene between Luke, Chewbacca and R2, and then just summarises some things that we just read out in the previous story, so I won't repeat them. Leia will have a new brown uniform and her blaster from A New Hope. She'll also wear an angular black dress. No word on whether or not she'll be injured. Phasma will actually do things this <laughs> round, and she'll be terrifying. Poe has an upgraded X-Wing and a new brass BB unit. 
The First Order Superstar Destroyer is colossal and looks like a city in the sky. It is hunting the Resistance fleet, led by Poe Dameron. Whew, so wow. Spoilers mm. much. There's lots to absorb from that, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense that Poe would have a new BB unit, because it sounds like <laughs> actual BB-8 is going to be off with Finn and Rose. Yes, right? exactly. I'm, I'm a little sad about that, because I love Poe and BB. Like, yeah. He is his. Yeah, I guess it must be a sign of how close that friendship is. That he yeah. basically says, take BB-8 with you. True. Like, I guess it's going to be a similar moment to the jacket moment. Like, presumably not of, like, a lip bite and it suits you. <laughs> but um, there must be some moment where he says, yeah, take BB-8. Either that or it's, like, an extreme situation. Like, bb And they just like, have ah! to take... Yeah, maybe they just have to take him without it being... An agreement. Yeah. A contract written in blood. Um. So, yeah, out of all this stuff, like, what did you find most interesting... Kirsty, I know it's a lot. The I- <laughs> well, the idea of Kylo's ship being customized to look like the Falcon. Yeah, I think there were more details they mentioned in the podcast because uh, it's doesn't he have a tie, but somehow it's modified to have elements from the Falcon. Yeah, I think they mentioned something like the thrusters or something. It was very mm-hmm. like specific, and I'm really bad of all the um like ships and everything. Same. Yeah, um, so I'm really like awful for remembering details. Again, this is the kind of thing that I wonder if it's something that you're supposed to explicitly connect with a falcon or if it's just like a design element that doesn't necessarily hint at anything like whether kylo would consciously have his ship created to look more like his father's like that sounds kind of strange but Mm. who knows i think it would probably be justified in the sense that if it's his customized one then maybe we're meant to assume that he customized it himself and maybe the idea is that this won't be like acknowledged in the film but in the backstory so stuff like the visual dictionary the idea will be that when he was young, Ben Solo learns how to like modify ships and do repairs and do customization with his dad. Mm. So then he takes some of the tricks of the trade he learned from Han and then applies them to his own ship. That's true. I think that would be the idea they'd be going for, basically. Mm. Um, I found their speculation, and I can't stress enough that it was their speculation, that Kylo might go back towards the light side over the course of the film. Very interesting. And in the podcast, he also mentioned something that wasn't covered by the notes. And that was that they kind of think that the reason why we're getting all these new bad guys, like the Praetorian guards and maybe Benicio del Toro and Phasma being more badass and death troopers and just this whole long list of bad guys. They wonder if introducing all, all of them is part partly so that they can compensate for when Kylo goes back. Yeah. Obviously then it's a bit of a gaping hole in your villainous squad when your like lead guy is like, nope, not doing this anymore, sorry. Yeah, that makes sense. I've seen a lot of fans wonder, well, if Kylo's redeemed, then who's the bad guy? And obviously the, the main answer is Snoke. Yeah. Um, but if they introduce new characters and they kind of flesh out the First Order to be actually way bigger and scarier than it appeared in The Force Awakens, that can easily do it. It's not an issue. Yeah. There are ways and means, basically. Yeah, I think they're kind of speculating in in a similar way to us, that if Kylo's spending a significant amount of time with Rey and Luke, that has to have implications for his arc. Mm. Doesn't mean that he would be fully on the light side by the end of episode eight, necessarily, but it has to be the general direction, because otherwise, what's the goal there? That he's spending time with them and then going, "Ah, nope, still evil. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, and I, I guess the other thing to say is that 
they said all of this stuff before celebration, so before we'd seen the trailer. Yeah. And it's just remarkable how certain things that they're saying they match up so, so perfectly with the stuff we saw. Like everything concrete was dead on. Mm-hmm. And it's really impressive. So, yeah, just massive kudos to making the stars. They're doing a great job. Yeah. I mean, because we, we saw the black dress that Leia's wearing, right, in the, the photos and that quick yeah. clip of her in the trailer. It seemed more like dark grey, actually, but I, I'm not going to, like, nitpick. That might be what they did mean, you know. Either that or it might be a different dress. That's true. She might have a few different changes. Yeah. It does seem like she has several different dresses, like from the behind-the-scenes photos they shared, which is awesome. Especially mm. because they seem to be such nice dresses, which yeah. I always approve of. Um, Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to say about these? Um, Well, I'm also pleased that Phasma's going to do things this time around. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that's yeah, very reassuring, like not just get sent into the garbage compactor. Yeah, because that's similar to the other point, isn't it? That, you know, she is a person in the First Order. So if Kylo ends up being redeemed, she has to be quite fearsome. Yeah. Hearing that she's been like really fearsome and scary, it does also remind me of like Boffin the Spy, like the stuff he posted about Phasma. Mm. He basically implied that Finn chops Phasma's arm off. And I think it's even said that she dies. I'm not sure if Finn wants her or separately. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, Um, I don't remember that. I'll have to dig it out. I'm not sure he explicitly said she dies, but he all but confirmed it basically by like given a list of qualities of the character who was going to die, like describing what they were like. And it was clearly Phasma. Um, But yeah, he basically said that Finn cuts Phasma's arm off, like because he's extremely angry about something awful she did. And it's like Mm. done to take revenge for something. Um, And yeah, because she's so like useless and ineffectual in the force awakens, it's difficult to think what he could be taking revenge for based on how that character is in that film. So I'd imagine it has to be something that she does in the last Jedi. Yeah, which would that makes tie sense. in with her becoming more badass and threatening. I think it's interesting that we still have nothing on Hux. Yes. There's like a complete dead zone, basically. I, I have to wonder, because I've seen some posters, I can't remember the exact names, but I think some people on Reddit were putting leaks up that said that maybe Hux dies in like the beginning. Yeah. Um, Like Snoke kills him or something as a punishment for Starkiller Base. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if that's going to be true, obviously, but it just seems weird that there's absolutely nothing. Yeah. He's clearly in the film. I'd almost forgotten. Oh, yeah, until, of course. Like we, I was like, almost surprised, to be honest, when we saw a picture of him in the panel at Star yeah. Celebration. I was like, oh, my God, yeah, hugs. Hey, dude. I did, I did wonder if Phasma would get the blame, but if we know that she lives, then Snoke has to set an example somehow. Otherwise, he's just kind of, like, ineffective himself, right? You'd think, but it still seems really cruel <laughs> and unfair. Phasma definitely deserves to be the one who gets the chop. I'm not saying Hux is like innocent, obviously. He's <laughs> pretty much not. But I mean, from the First Order point of view, the person who's responsible for that disaster is Phasma, not Hux. True. But yeah, yeah no, right, life is not fair. Maybe that's the lesson. <laughs> life yeah, isn't I, fair, guys. We'll see. I mean, we might get Hux spoilers at some point, but it just strikes me now because it's... We've heard about almost every other character. Yeah, it's true. That is a big void surrounding Hux. Like, for um, Melissa's sake, I'm really hoping he doesn't die. I know. I would feel bad for her if that's the case. I mean, he'd probably get quite a dramatic scene, but if it's right at the beginning, it's a bit harsh for her. That is really harsh, yeah. (laughs) It's like, please no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It would start out the film pretty ominously, though. It would, yeah. It would show the stakes. Yeah. Very much. 
Um, right, then the final news story today is something a bit different. It's about the Han Solo movie. And yes, again, it's from Making Stars. It's basically a clean sweep on Making Stars today. Um, right, and it's just some character names. I've been told that in the untitled Young Han Solo story, there's a character named Mother Proxima. Apparently, the character is likely some sort of puppet. The character is operated by Dave Chapman. Chapman is known to the Star Wars crowd as one of the two BBA operators from The Force Awakens. There's always a chance Chapman is operating the character, but Mother Proxima will be voiced by one of the actors we've heard has been cast in the film. On the latest episode of Now This Is Podcasting, we also discussed another character with top villain named Val. There's a female character in the untitled Han Solo movie that is named Val. I have now received several reports that the name Val was used at Pinewood, and that Val has some sequence involving stunts, so there will be action around this character. The strangeness of the situation is that no one will confirm who Val is to me at this point. However, I heard that Val has top billing, and that makes me think it could be none other than Amelia Clark's character. That said, it could be Phoebe Waller-Bridge or Fandy Newton as well. So, yeah, like just little details, but still quite interesting. Um, I was saying, like, I know it will be different in the film, and I'll accept it when it's there and just said in context. But Val just makes me think of my auntie Val. Yeah, like, it's like it, it's just it's such like an old lady Earth name to me. <laughs> it is. It might end up being something totally different, or it's short for something that sounds like a normal human name, but actually isn't. Yeah, if it's like short for something like Valera or something like that, then I could probably jive with that more. Yeah. But it sounds like that character could be Amelia Clark, so I'd imagine that her character could be quite action-y, you know? Yeah. Um, and the Mother Proxima, that sounds like it could be Phoebe Waller-Bridges, maybe? Because wasn't she rumoured to be doing a voice? Yeah, she's rumoured to be doing, like, a droid or a robot of some description. So I remember people making a big deal of the fact she was going to be playing, like, the first female droid mm. that we've had. Um, yeah, and it would tie in with Dave Chapman being the one who's operating, like, the character... Yeah. Because then it does imply some kind of mechanical element. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting name, especially if it is a droid. Like, how could a droid be a mother of any description? Maybe she's like the mother of a religious order or something. <laughs> mother Superior Proxima. <laughs> yeah, Never totally know. off topic, but I started watching Fleabag this week. Ah, um, nice. Yeah, that's Phoebe Waller Bridge's comedy show on Amazon, and it is so funny. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I've heard such great things. I really need to see it. I think it was on iPlayer, so I'll have to try and check it out that way. Yeah, and I didn't realise that she was in Broadchurch as well. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, No, I haven't. I feel really oh. bad, so I know it's such a phenomenon. Yeah, it is a good show. Um, She's in season two of that, and I didn't realise it was her because her character is someone super serious. She's a lawyer in that. Oh, wow. Um, so it's very different. Um, but yeah, I recognised her when I started watching it, and yeah, it's a really great show. So I'm, it makes me more excited to see her in it, and I, I can imagine that this droid is going to be definitely played for laughs, you know. Um, right, then we get to two spoiler questions. So first question is from Julia. Hi, ladies, just listening to episode twenty-six. I think I may have another theory about the Millennium Falcon. Could it just be that Chewbacca and R2D2 left shortly after Ray went to find Luke? Because, like, what are they supposed to be doing on Act 2? So in that one battle scene, the Millennium Falcon might well be piloted by Chewbacca and Lando. Though I know that's not very likely, but it could be Finn or Poe. Um, yeah, so this is a reference to the fact that you, we have that shot of the Millennium Falcon in the trailer. 
and obviously it's unclear who's piloting it or where it is and yeah there's lots of question marks around it yeah it could um, be anyone really couldn't it yeah so um what did you think about this idea Kirsty? do you think chewbacca could be in there yeah it's possible i mean based on what we've been hearing like the spoilers that we were just discussing it doesn't sound like they fly off as soon as they drop ray off <laughs> like, yeah it's like see ya peace out <laughs> yeah uh, but I had been a bit concerned about what they would have Chewbacca doing, but if they're kind of having this cute little subplot of him communing with nature, then I guess that would fill the time. Yeah. They don't have to show him an awful lot, do they? So if they have that reunion scene of him with Luke and and the Porgs, then that might be enough. Yeah. Um, Just be the occasional cutaway. But yeah, like the, the scene with the Millennium Falcon, I know we were speculating that it could be Ray and Kylo on it, but it really could be anyone. Like, yes. there's there's no hint, so... It yeah. can go anyway. Yeah, right obviously now. that speculation of ours is informed by our bias and what we would want to see. <laughs> in <laughs> not going to pretend otherwise. It's not like based on anything we've heard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not really. What well, one could not describe us as Lucasfilm insiders, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, but yeah, it's perfectly possible it could be them. Like I say, I'm sticking to my guns though, and thinking it's probably Iraq too. Um, and yeah, like I, I just think it's most plausible that we see the first order just show up there at some point yeah because that kind of has to come to a head and if if the other spoilers that we've heard we we kind of speculating that kylo arrives towards the end of the first act and they then have to have another kind of confrontation at some point to get them to maybe leave the island yes um so yeah that that seems likely yeah Um, maybe they followed um kylo's tracker belt Oh, I suppose if he's still wearing it, if he's got the new costume, but still the same belt. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Snoke has that thing tailored into every belt Kylo has. Yeah. You know he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, then the final question is from Victoria. When we started getting spoilers, a lot was coming out from Dubrovnik, saying that Luke was seen there at the casino planet and that someone used the Force on guards, throwing them against walls or something. There was also something about stormtroopers searching or running away from a being they claim is a Jedi. I don't remember that at all. I don't either. Um, I don't know what the source is for this. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, there were all sorts of things coming out of Dubrovnik. So. Yeah, it was a bit wild. I might be misremembering, which is entirely possible, as so I haven't gone back to listen to Making Star Wars Now This Is Podcast in episodes, and neither have I searched for your spoiler chats. So, what happened? Because now reports claim that Ray and Luke appeared to be staying on Act 2 for the majority of the film, and it looks like the Canto Bite is where Benicio Del Toro's character will make an appearance. Along with this news is that he will spend time with Finn and Rose, and that Canto Bite will happen somewhere in the middle. And there was a bit about slicing. <laughs> so I'm confused. What's happening on this planet? Are Luke and Ray there? Who is doing all the Force tricks? Del Toro's character? And why are Finn and Rose involved with this guy? Wouldn't this fall into Jedi business? Um, there's lots of good questions there, and I, for the most part, we really can't answer them because we just don't know. Right. Um, I know Mark Hamill was seen on the set, or at least in Dubrovnik. Yes, but I think that... he was seen in Pinewood at the casino set there. I don't think he was conclusively seen in Dubrovnik. There were oh, loads okay. of rumors about Mark being in Dubrovnik, but there was nothing conclusive. Right. Um. So yeah, there's no like positive ID on Luke there. Um, and honestly, I'd be surprised if Mark did go to Dubrovnik because John Boyega and Kelly Marie Tran weren't there. It was just their doubles. Okay. So if Luke is meant to be like represented on that planet at all, 
then I expect they just had a double for him there. Weren't people saying that Daisy Ridley's double was there as well? She was, definitely. 100%. Chloe Bruce was there. Um, there's just a big controversy over whether she was there as Ray or whether she was there just as like another stunt performer. Oh, yeah, but- because she was in an outfit that looked like something that Ray would not be wearing, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like a very yeah. glam dress and like a beehive hairdo and stuff, and it did not look like Ray at all. Mm. Um, so yeah, that made people doubt why she was there. But then there's there were like other rumors. I think of um like someone fighting with a staff on like one of the boats in the harbor and stuff. And yeah, there were also lots of rumors about people using the force and people getting flung through the air and stuff. So. It's all really mysterious, to be honest. Um, and I think everything with Canto Bite, it just reminds me that after like the first act, we really don't know where things are headed. Mm-hmm. And that's actually really exciting. We know the locations are involved. We know certain set pieces. Um, but I think especially with Luke, Ray and Kylo, after they have this big fight, it's just silence. The only thing that happens after that that we could be even vaguely confident happens is the whole um, thing where Luke blows up the hut because that's from Boff and Spy and they've proven themselves reliable several times. I'm still very hesitant to buy that one. Like, I think it's possible, but I'm not including it in my like, head canon of the movie. Yeah, like, I wouldn't say that person is 100% reliable. Of course they're not, but... I would say there's more reason to believe them now than there was before, based on the other stuff that's come out since. So yeah, there's the stuff about Finn and Rose infiltrating the First Order ship somehow, right? So that's got to be after Counterbite, presumably. Yes. Or po- oh, maybe it is? I don't know, I've just kind of made that assumption. Mm. So in the trailer, we see that there's a resistance like ship, it seems to be some kind of like outpost in space, there's under attack, and Poe runs the X-Wing and it's blown up, and it's like, ah! And so I reckon that's likely to be right at the start of the movie when the First Order is chasing the Resistance. And Finn might well still be like recovering in his recovery suit at that time. And then I think there's going to be scenes where we see Finn evacuated from that setting, potentially with Rose. And there's like bonding scenes with those characters. And we see like Finn wake up and he gets given his mission. And then the mission takes him to Canto Bite. And there they get something important that allows them to infiltrate the First Order base they go into later. Mm. That is obviously my speculation, but based on what we know at the moment, that's how I see it joining up. Yeah, because that that makes sense, because then that's a way of converging Poe and Finn's stories. Mm. Just a case of where Ray fits in. Yes, and whether like Ray's path crosses with Finn's path, because there's yeah. lots of uncertainty over whether that happens. Yeah, because I think early on, that was another thing that people thought, because the scenes with the princes um daisy was on set for those mm-hmm. there's photos of her but again that's something that she could have just been there for and then actually that they were filming with finn and kelly marie tran yeah so there's there's no guarantee or even like a heavy spoiler right now from people like making star wars that ray and finn share screen time yeah there's they might affirmative. But yeah so we just have to wait and see and to be fair we're still quite a long way out they could still give us plenty more yeah there's so much of the story that we don't know yeah, so we just have to be patient. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, I think that's it, basically. So 
Whew, I felt like I finally catched up. It felt very cleansing to do this because there's been so many questions we haven't been able to get to. So obviously we've been covering all the stuff out of celebration mm-hmm. and it was really nice to get to people's questions and also to go through some of the spoiler reports we've had because yeah, just lots fell by the wayside. Yeah, it was funny because they came the week before celebration, so we didn't have time to talk about them, but we'd had such a drought of things to talk about before that. Yeah. It was like, I want to talk about Snoke. (laughs) Yes. I was so happy we finally got to talk about Snoke. I was like, oh, I've been waiting for this for a long, long time. This is so ridiculous. (laughs) It is, in the best way. Um, Right. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, please do send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. And you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and on Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. And where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you for listening, everyone. And do tune in next time. Bye. Bye.